welcome to Drink in the Movies with Michael and Taylor. We're drinking Hellbent Brewing Company's Hop and Oats Ale. Episode 1. Beer recommended by Taylor as a personal favorite. It is certainly a personal favorite of mine. I've been drinking it for over three years now. How would you describe this beer? Delicious. <laughs> also? Particularly delicious. Look at this pour. Barely anything on I'm practically mm. perfect. Coming episodes, we hope to be endorsed by Hellbent Brewery. <laughs> or really any so. beer alcohol company. Out. All breweries listening. We accept or alcohol. all endorsements <laughs> of any kind. Mm. How would you describe mm. the flavor palette, Michael? Mm. A perfect summer beer. It's nice and light crisp particularly delicious nice and chilled as we have it believe it or not it's mm. just Cheers. as perfect mm. for winter i can see that it's versatile it's very mm. warming <sighs> on this nice humid 80 degree mm. day it cools you down well we have a lot mm. of movies to get to sure where do, do you want to start rather than start with the most extreme on our list the gaspar no way i think we should start with something perhaps a little lighter maybe <laughs> like the first purge <laughs> we could talk about the first purge that is certainly a light fare that or sorry to bother you are certainly more lighter films compared to gaspar Noé's films i would agree <laughs> we'll save the no way let's do sorry to bother you since we since we both just saw all right sorry to bother you. have you had a chance to listen to what um adam kempinar and michael phipps thought I have not. Have you? I have. I Got disagree it. with them. Where did they, they, where did they come it. out? Just a sort of baseline? Just like you. They liked They it. were positive on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they, you, interesting. And you, yeah, it's fair to say you were a bit, you were negative to strongly negative? Negative. Yeah. I really respect the diorama-like style that he does, where he's cutting from one scene to the next simultaneously while... Yeah. Uh, Lakeith is still in the previous scene and then he begins talking to someone else in the next scene and yeah. it kind of seamlessly transitions it's a lot like um, oh boy Spike Jones is being John Malkovich which you have yet oh, to yeah. see but yeah. it's very mm -hmm. very similar in its eccentricness and, yeah. and just trying to make a point about something the thing is I don't know what it's points yeah. are because it never yeah. sticks to any Yeah, and there's no stakes to quote I you, would agree there's yeah. no stakes the uh there you were, could say like, the finale gives stakes but i disagree i don't think that there's stakes there because he still didn't the foundation is the prison work yeah yeah that never comes to happen for him so Correct. there's no stakes mm -hmm. i don't disagree i i think i like the same I, I think what you liked about it i liked as well which are some of just some of the stylistic yeah, I choices. felt like we were seeing a young, even though he's actually in his late 30s, if not early 40s, Spike Lee. Like, I thought yeah. we were just seeing a guy that had the balls to go make what he wants to make. And right. I really want him to have a, a separate screenplay written by someone else. I could see to that. To do that with. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, I did appreciate sort of the, the boldness of it, even though the ideas were kind of, like, just messy for like lack yeah. of a better and, word and there's a but, lot of good ideas uh, that he glances over they just don't really cohere um but 
stylistically like i could just like hang out with these characters in like more of a hangout movie and be perfectly satisfied with it i could just hang out with tessa thompson's character and like be perfectly delighted by that i like the i feel like i would get into a nuanced debate with her about what exactly she believes in you know because she does do that white voice to sell her painting or her art and that is just completely Mm. glossed over yeah yeah but she's acting like she's holier than Lakeith Stainfield. Then she's doing the right. exact same things that he's doing yeah. and acting like she's better than him. Yeah. When he's the one that's, like, providing where they're staying, at least in the film. We never yeah. see her staying in a house. We never, you know. Yeah. So the way it's depicted is what he's doing, although is terrible, is also admirable because yeah. he's providing for Terry Crews to not lose his house, who's his uncle, you know, all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for a movie that, like, tried to do a lot of things deliberately so different and weird i thought it was kind of funky to have this like romantic conflict develop yeah i was like this seems extremely ordinary disentangle instantly i agree without yeah once again no stakes yeah but there's this one Mm -hmm. scene that i love so Mm -hmm. i really hate the soft camera lens i don't know if you noticed but they would always build Mm -hmm. the whole scene around lakeith or his face yeah and the back would be softly blurred and out of depth and I think that he might have done it specifically for this one scene where he's walking down the street and he yeah. trips and falls. Yeah. And behind yeah, yeah. him is this alley of parked cars. Yeah. And in that one scene, everything's in focus. Yeah. And I don't know if that was a decision to try to make us think that he just had everything get into focus or not. Because I think right. that that's when the relationship goes back to going his way and he yeah. is about to learn his lesson in the coke den yeah. of Army Hammer. But, yeah. Um, that was like my favorite cinematography cinematographic piece yeah. within the film yeah 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 i think uh the director boots riley yeah. right and he's a political <laughs> activist and he's the child of uh noted political activists i don't know their names but i i did learn that listening to yeah. and he's uh a, a rapper, rapper right yes. and i think just that like does... keith did you know that right exactly and i think that does kind of come through like i do think the the, the flow from scene to scene is kind of a musical, does have kind of a musical quality to it, the way that it was, like, it was pretty seamless from scene to scene, but I don't know I don't that, know if I'd uh, call it musical or, like, um, more specifically, like, a specific instrument, like a drummer. Like, it mm, felt more like mm. it was a drummer with a or full kit, just a, just a wide kit, and he's going from yeah. hi-hat to deep bass up to China, yeah. just instantly. Snap, snap, right. snap, snap. And I think that's what feels like pretty ambitious about it are these wild tonal shifts that that do sort of feel like you're hitting every you know pitch on a drum kit and i don't know that like he too really pulled that off yeah i mean it's pretty just exhilarating but i I don't think that it really worked uh no but i consistently at least i was really when i left the theater i wasn't thinking about the movie I was thinking about how excited I am for him to make more movies. Right. It's someone who you know is going to at least go for broke, and that's better than someone yeah. who didn't play the same any day of Well, the week. I, I don't know that I'd agree mm-hmm. with that, because um, uh, what's the gal that made Leave No Trace? Deborah Granick. I don't think that she um, does anything like that. I think that she definitely plays it safe, and I think that that is just as powerful. Well, I think you could argue that that it isn't exactly safe to uh, 
make a movie with such restraint. I think that is a, a risk in that you risk sort of alienating viewers who, who, who need something more stimulating than what she provides. So it's Maybe. not going for broke in the same way that I, I feel like Boots, is, Boots Riley actually wanted to go for broke. Yeah. And I feel like Deborah Granick never thought about it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, like one mm. of them is purposely fighting the power structure and one is ignoring yeah. the power structure and making their own version of art without yeah. thinking about it. Much like yeah. a Paul Thomas Anderson would. Yeah. Just yeah. not even, you know. Yeah, I'm just making this movie about a, a middle-aged uh, man dresser who, you know, is abusive to women and, you know, uh, it yeah. ends with mushroom trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought there were maybe just, like, one too many characters in Sorry to Bother You. I don't think that uh, the the Asian character who led sort of the employee uprising. Stephen Ewan did a great job acting, but yes, I thought he, he was fine, fit. but as just, as one more thing to involve, uh, you know, have, Tessa have Thompson's you character hooking up with him, I just thought, like, this is this is too much of a tangent to really contribute to what's going on. There's already plenty going so on. So if he stayed <laughs> as a limited side character without his own plot, mm-hmm. I just wanted to take a chance to appreciate because you never get to appreciate Stephen Ewan. He's never going to yeah. have his own movie, probably. Yeah, exactly. Unless he gets his own Columbus, like John Cho did, you know, which is very, very, you know, God, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I liked Lakeith Stanfield. I wouldn't I have I, I wouldn't have replaced him with anybody in particular. I thought he he pulled off what he was supposed to do. I can say Army Hammer's acting doesn't work for me. Mm. Not just there, but it just doesn't work for me. Watching just that, I noticed that my criticism of "Call Me by Your Name" yeah was just accentuated. Like I just don't like his acting uh. style. I liked him in The Man from mm. Uncle. Where he mm, plays yeah, yeah. a spy that doesn't really do much like movie. Uh, verbally, but yeah. anytime he's verbal, I much like early Bradley Cooper. I feel like I can see him acting. I mm. can see him making choices in the moment. Yeah, and I don't like that. I'd love yeah, to like yeah. it, but I don't. It's f- like it's fun. If it was a TV show, it would be fun. Yeah, but it's a film. He's supposed to be more. Uh, he's supposed to have more gravitational pull to weight the film. I think. And he doesn't yeah. do that to me. He makes it go more uh, out of the world. He, yeah. He de-gravitizes it for me. Yeah, I, I could maybe see him having more success if he went for more of like a Ryan Gosling kind of acting style that, where he just says less. I think his skill might have might take off a little bit more if it's more non-verbal. I, I do think yeah. when he starts talking and says says too much, it's when that idea that he is acting kind of comes through. Yeah, it's like, but I sort of like his just It's, it's like there. when he talks, I don't <laughs> believe his emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't talk, I'd believe his emotions, if that yeah. makes sense. And I, yeah. I really don't like Cooper's early work, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And it does the same thing for me. Uh, same for Benedict Cumberbatch. It's like these actors oh, yeah. are great on the stage, great on the stage but they don't suit a picture where you can consistently see the choices they're making on repeat yeah yeah you know yeah when when there's already enough visual information to kind of tell us what we need to know about them they're talking sometimes instead to just take it in the wrong direction yeah (laughs) it's i think that the best way to explain it is he's trying to make us feel a certain way and he knows that right other actors try to feel a certain way and then we witness yeah. them feeling that. Yeah. 
that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I could have re- maybe replaced him, but otherwise I think I was pretty satisfied with the cast. Um, I, I don't Stanfield know if I Tessa didn't like, like together. Tessa Thompson's character mm-hmm. or if I didn't see her doing what I saw her do and like Thor Ragnarok, where I was I enamored by her comedic timing. She didn't yeah. she yeah. didn't have a role where I was laughing personally. I don't know if other people found her like earrings funny or whatever, but I was just like, I do, like it's absurd, but at some point absurdity doesn't mean that yeah. you get to have a cheap laugh anymore. You know, right. like the first time I was like, okay. Second time I was like, okay. Third time I was like, yeah. all right this isn't as funny as the photo just show me the photo of the dad right <laughs> yeah i keep hearing people describe the movie as a comedy which i don't think is really the right single word description well it seems it. to be that there there seems to be a claim being made that if you don't view it as a comedy you aren't being open-minded mm. right which I is agree. a very mm. interesting thing to say that if that you are a certain type of person if you don't see the film in a certain way right that's a very right. interesting uh idea it's going right. around right now yeah i think some of the ideas have a comedic element to them for sure but i i didn't find like many of the deliberate attempts for humor to be like that funny like i don't think boots riley is someone who i who i expect to make funny movies going forward so i, I think that's no. wrong for people to go in expecting i think the funniest like thing to me was when he was talking to tessa and then mm-hmm. the camera turns and she's in the cubicle next to him and i'm like what the oh fuck? yeah she works here now <laughs> that was pretty funny yeah and yeah those were more more some, some visual humor which yes. were pretty satisfying yeah. yeah i can't say there are, there are any lines that i'm gonna repeat that were particularly funny so i think it is there is a, one but it has to do with horse cocks okay there's maybe <laughs> something there right uh i absolutely could have done without the tacked on ending um i don't know if we're, yeah, I don't I know if we're like a spoiler podcast door, or not but the garage door scene at the end was the best way to end it oh you did like that no, I think that that was the best way to end it. Did you leave before the following ending? Um, well, now I'm trying to remember what happened before and after the, the credits. I, because so before he, the credits, he closes the garage door and he turns around and his nostrils have shifted. Right. Which and I thought it, that And was. then it goes to credits. Right, right. And then it goes to a certain <laughs> uprising scene where Army Hammer is in his mansion. Right. And that felt terrible to me. I could have done without him growing the nose i would have i would have ended it before him growing the nose but then you don't i i don't know for me i was very interested in if the powder was coke or not right that, and that, i wanted that payoff to know and if they wouldn't yeah. have told me i would have been like that's annoying and then i would have forgot about the movie just, and i feel like yeah. because they turn if they would have turned him and then not shown the uprising i would have been like oh shit did he go to the to the jail work centers what what happened that's interesting to me i think i had the complete opposite reaction where as soon as i know whether or not like what he started was the powder of the cocaine that gives me a reason to forget sometimes the ambiguity is like what leaves it in my mind but ambiguity in and of itself is lazy because then the then the no. writer of the screenplay didn't have an original 
thought through perspective, right? Ambiguity in mm-hmm. certain films does lead to deeper thought. Yeah. But in a yeah. lot of first time screenplays, mm-hmm. that's just laziness. It's late. I mean, I guess you can just, you, you can call it lazy. It, it does require less writing, but I think it, it can be more affecting. Like it leaves more for, for me, for my mind to do, to contemplate what, what sort of the, the possible outcomes are. So I, I, I mean, guess if, I, if you I, want it to could not feel know, though. I think that when you have a plot yeah. that is as flurried and as scribbly as this, yeah if you leave it open to interpretation that yeah to me makes it even lazier yeah. like at least it committed at least it decided that it wanted to make this person into this and that it That's wanted fair. to make its genre actually science fiction which yeah. i did not go in expecting a science fiction film i did not either and i can say i liked it more than annihilation oh let's not even compare. <laughs> as a science I, fiction film i did yeah. like it more yeah, I, oh, I do. Yeah. I, I was not expecting it either, and I thought everything with the the horse bolt was was great. It was tremendously satisfying. It was it that was that was funny and uh, and twisted oh. and just surprising in a way that I, so, I was not expecting. Full black and white colorblind me. Yeah. When he turns right. into that jade door, mm. I had no idea it was the wrong thing, and I was like, "Why are there so many showers?" <laughs> like I was absolutely gullible to the whole thing and then when he opens that door you totally sympathize and then then it crashes down i was like no fucking way you're like what is happening in this movie and the next thought was we just earned (laughs) our mature audiences respect benchmark or we could just edit this out that's true fix it in post yeah there's a a snip (laughs) uh so yeah i mean not one that I'm really eager to see again, but eager to see whatever he does next. Yes. And, and hopefully he gets someone else's screenplay. Yeah. I'd love to see a long gestating Spike Lee screenplay get given to him with Spike Lee as an executive producer. With like yeah. Jordan Peele as a creative consultant or something. Right. Like, I with think sort of if, the right people pointing him in a, uh, in yeah. a certain direction could be yeah. helpful. Um, I think in it was on film spotting. They said that that ending that added on ending is the type of ending that jordan was talked out of uh yeah by bloom house and so i think he does need someone like that because he did go to the film festivals and say that i want to sell this instead of going to a production company first and getting funding right so annapurna picked it up post and i think that if annapurna would have told him to cut that and been firm on it it would have been a better film yeah I think that is like exciting filmmaking when you know you have a director who's who's going kind of big enough that they might need some direction in terms of you know when to when to sort of you know pull back a little bit versus directors or, that aren't that no, aren't really don't going even tell them to pull back. Mm-hmm. Let them shoot the whole thing how they see it. Yeah, and then work with them and the editor to to try to actually have a conversation about be, because doing something for money sounds really lazy and really like cheating but things that make the most money do tend to stay in the public consciousness the longest right yeah we're still having conversations about avatar whether or not we want to we're still having conversations about the titanic and whether or not people have to have seen it to have a conversation exactly and (laughs) these are the highest grossing films and because someone else saw it other people will see it and so if you really think your ideas are worth 
ingesting and gestating on. Yeah. You have to try to make enough money in the market to be part of the conversation. Yeah. Or else yeah. you're just going to be relegated. To there has to be the corners. There has to be some sort of success to yeah. you know as as an additional hurdle to even sort of make it like into the the consciousness. Because yeah. it's basically impossible to make clerks or do the right thing. Yeah. Now. It's just right. not going to happen. It'll disappear pretty quickly. You don't get to make Once Upon a Time in Mexico just yeah. right off the bat after you make Desperado or you yeah. know, El Mariachi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is no mm. Reservoir Dogs in waiting. I mean, yeah. other than Hereditary. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I'm more positive. You're a little more negative, but equally interested in what he does next. Excited. Yeah. Excited for what he That's does good. next. And really hopeful that he gets mm. someone else's screenplay. Fair enough. And I'd like to see Good Lakeith conclusion. stay with him. I think that Lakeith a is good the team. perfect yeah. actor for that type of a vision. I agree. I uh, Just like Daniel Kaluuya was the perfect actor for Jordan's vision and Get Out. Right. I think this is... I can't think of many other things I liked at Lakeith Stanfield in as much as this. Atlanta. I have not seen Atlanta, but... That's his problem, enough. people. He has there not seen go. Atlanta? Mm. You should see Atlanta. No. Uh, what should we move on to? <laughs> You pick. Well, I was just more negative, so I'd like to be more positive. But I don't think that there's any. I think that I'm just gonna kind of (laughs) nothing positive. I mean, we could do Sicario. I feel like I really liked that movie. Yeah, you. I think you liked it more than me. Yeah. Uh, I think if we're we're referring to letterbox reviews you gave it a four i gave it a three yeah but both gave but us let's, we both uh, gave it hearts we are talking about sicario day of the soldado not the original sicario which is mm. one of the greatest films ever made oh. period <clears throat> bold word well being, denny being thrown out it, there so <laughs> yeah i mean greatest ever made period is you know about a five thousand film range <laughs> right right yeah uh i liked it overall i was positive on it but uh, I I would agree it does not uh, come close to stacking up against the first. Uh, okay, but budgetary we, constraints. Sure, sure. Missing one of the top five working directors today that's doing sure. mm-hmm. the types of projects that Denny's doing. Um, sure. Missing the, I, I would say personally, the best cinematographer working today Roger oh absolutely Meekins. absolutely missing yep. one of the top three actresses working today emily blunt right it's a pretty fucking good movie in despite of these things right but <laughs> uh i mean a great movie like in you can you can only sort of sort of say like in spite of this so many well, times you, so it, you have to say in spite of because you're purposefully comparing it to the previous one that yeah you yeah, do have yeah, to yeah. take into account what's missing that's fair. Uh, That's I, like if the Dark Knight wasn't made by the same guy that made Batman Begins, that would yeah. be a huge talking point, and we right. would accept it because it's a cultural right. icon. Because Sicario right. isn't a, necessarily a cultural icon. You, I think right. you do have to like make it plain that Emily Blunt isn't in it. Why? Because they yeah. literally wrote her out in the first one. Right. Why isn't Denny mm-hmm. doing this? He's making Dune. Why isn't Deacons doing this? Because he's fucking Deacons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think the direction it goes in feels right considering that her character is no longer there in yes. the first i felt like she was sort of like our moral center like with with a all lot of these people say that i f- i i agree that if you view that it has a moral center she was it but yeah. i don't think yeah, yeah. the first sicario mm-hmm. 
had a moral center. I think that's that it still didn't, pretty bleak. and that's what crushed her. True. Because she tried to have one, and it didn't work. Also, Daniel Kaluuya was great in that. Just got to point that out. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely fair point. But I, I guess maybe it's 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 her, it's her trying to find some some morality, some hopefulness in this sort of scenario that seems so yeah, bleak that we sort of to identify do that with. Literally gets in the way, and ends up right. almost killing her. In the case right. of John Bernthal's character. Right. 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 So yeah. like, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And she's yeah. only saved by the hero. Of the right. second film. Right. Who saves another girl. Right. At the cost of his own life. Right. Until so, yeah, the very her, end. So her, her her efforts at, at sort of locating any goodness and sort of this, uh, you know, and sort of this, this mess that she's wound up in fails. But y- you do sort of align with her, with her sort of... Um, with her hope, right? Even though that's what no, I gets in a way. I, I understand a lot of people did. I didn't. I aligned with Benicio because Benicio mm. was the only one getting things done. Right. There was a lot of bureau- bureaucrats asking for things to get done, and Benicio was the only one Willing to who do had it. no who who was affected in such a way where the only thing that he could do was do these terrible things. And because yep. he had a, yep. an enthralling and ethical reason to do it, a moral center for doing it made it very compelling and so i was more on his side in that final scene in the first sicario than i was Mm. on her side and it's very interesting how many people are on Mm. emily blunt's side because i love her as an actress like she's one of my favorites but i i was like you can't have a moral center and deal with narcotic gangs that are killing and stringing people up putting people in the walls like you you can't have a moral center and not die right I, but I would just, dis- I guess I would describe her as very much the, the hero that yeah. is unsuccessful. Yeah, <laughs> as no, an unsuccessful hero. I, I feel like hero. her purpose is that you can't be a hero in the situation. Right. Yeah. And Benicio del Toro is much more clearly an anti hero in the first, as he is in the second, where, where you we really don't have an anything even it's, close I, to a I think hero. it's debatable because. I mean, is Batman an, an anti-hero? I mean, he doesn't kill people like Benicio, but his parents get killed, his family mm. gets killed, and he goes and stops criminals. And he uses um, arguably illegal means to do so. Benicio's right. family is killed. He uses arguably illegal means to get retribution and to tackle the issues. Right. And retribution, I think, is the key word. Where I don't think of Batman as one... Uh, who uh, who has vengeance on his mind? I think Benicio del Toro. He, he definitely does occasionally. Vengeance. He does occasionally. But yes. But he doesn't go after. Does he go after his, his parents' killers at any point? It depends on know. which series. That's fair. We, we yeah. Get, but yeah, there is like Batman a, a late seventies or early eighties series where he actually like gets retribution and turns probably into very satisfying. a villain. And I think the Joker ends up becoming a hero. It's a really weird like six comic arc. I think. Yeah. 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 Sounds very satisfying. Tune in to Fat Man on Batman <laughs> for more details on that. Series. With Kevin Smith. <laughs> uh, but I think any uh, where Sicario, Day of the Soldado, did sort of fail for me was when it did try to find uh, sources of hope in what was just 
to to when did bleak it find of a sources movie. Of hope? Uh, when Josh Brolin has sort of this change of heart towards the end, and he says "fuck the rules" and decides to uh, help get the girl back across the border. Um, I thought I, don't, I didn't view it as that. I didn't view it as him changing. I viewed it as he had the opportunity to manipulate the legislation mm-hmm. to serve his friend who was dead. Yeah. yeah. I didn't view it as a change of heart at all. I viewed it as yeah. I can get away with this. I viewed the whole movie yeah. as I can get away with this, not as anything more than that. Because it's all yeah. about what you can get away with in spite of the federal government's oversight. To me, that's how the film played out. Yeah. To me. There's federal oversight from Catherine Keener. What can yeah. you get away with? What can you not tell her? What can, what does Benicio have to do in order to keep the girl alive? And how can he play that so that Brolin knows as little as possible? And how can Brolin play that to Keener so that she knows as little as possible? And yeah. it ends up turning into the order to kill him. And yeah. they end up not being able to kill him because he's quote unquote killed shot in the face by someone else and that's like that was one of my favorite um pieces of mask work probably ever done yeah when he's yeah. taken off the bus and they put the the cover on his head and they tape him and everything and he's yeah. acting through this mask of death it was just incredible yeah i do think it's he, terribly moving just him had him as as an individual person within the film was he was by far the most compelling i, d- I don't I, think he's, josh he's one brolin, of the most enjoyable actors too. yeah i don't think josh brolin uh, he kind of does what he needs to do, but I, I, but I don't find him particularly memorable in any way like Benicio Del Toro is, who's just no, fucking but I did, badass. <laughs> I do think that he was, that Brolin was very good at being a government employee. Like, he yeah, yeah. he definitely made me believe that he was yeah. in a way that, like, if Clint Eastwood made would have made that movie, whoever he would have cast in that role, I would have been like, fucking bullshit. Yeah. You know, like, Brolin yeah. has the commitment to behave as if he is such yeah whereas wh- whoever clint eastwood normally picks would not have that in yeah. that type of a film you know sully is a totally yeah. different case where it's like an amazing character piece but if, yeah. whenever he yeah. like american sniper i just did not believe that cooper was who cooper pretended to right be. yeah i agree um on a pure filmmaking standpoint i don't think i felt anything in this much in this movie as deeply as i felt certain things in the original which again like you know comparing everything to the original isn't isn't super fair okay but let's, uh what about the finale let's just uh, that that's the fulcrum of the movie i was i was gonna start at the be at the beginning the beginning of the movie is pointless to talk about it really is i, I don't know that it's pointless to talk about i mean it, it it's showing some some ostensibly pretty disturbing stuff right these these terrorist attacks that you know uh make that are showing you know a mom and her kid getting blown up at the grocery store like it's it's pretty severe stuff yeah so isis and I is wish sneaking I had... in through the mexican border right um, which is giving a compelling argument to if you want to say make a wall or to get harder on um ice uh, or in border patrol whatever right. you want to say it, it makes a very compelling case for that and then it goes further to make a very compelling case against it and it shows both sides right. of it Right, which I don't. I just don't it, know that some of those nuance. some of those scenes were as were as compelling as uh, a better director might have made them. Well, um, duh. <laughs> That's like asking, "Do you wish Scorsese directed this movie?" And me saying, "Duh." Well, 
Well, yeah, but I mean, like that's part of, that's that's part of the point of having the conversation, is right? It's just like what 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 the I difference mean, name is between a, science a better or movie, a better director and a worse director. Name a science fiction movie that you gave three stars or under that you don't wish was directed by Nolan. Dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you don't wish Nolan directed that? I do. Oh, I do wish Nolan had. Yeah, directed no, that. you're right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, anything yeah. that you're kind of lower on, you're gonna wish that a better director had. But just the nature of film yeah. is, you can't always have these great directors, right? And yeah, even when yeah. a great director comes along, it doesn't save the piece. A Wrinkle in Time was terrible. True. It was an awful mm. film. And Chris Pine had a wonderful mm. performance. Michael mm. Pena was incredible in his very limited mm. role. But the movie was terrible. It was absolutely mm. awful. Just complete piece mm. of CG trash. I didn't see it in Bad. 3D. Maybe it was better in 3D. <laughs> right? So this is one of those things where they made it for a very affordable budget. Yeah. It's earned more than its budget back already, including marketing. Right. And mm-hmm. I I don't know, the ending was one of my favorite endings in cinema all year. So, uh you what do you, what do you make of the ending? Benicio del Toro talking to that kid. Do you do, I, do you, so do you, you want to be a Sicario? Do you but you don't expect him to uh to hurt the kid versus train the kid I'm, or something like I'm that. Curious. Do you take it one way or the other? If he's going to start his own uh, quote-unquote cartel, right? but a cartel of mercs, of Sicarios. Right. Which I do think, like, that is a, a tremendous note to end on. To me, that's it's sort of in line with, like, the cynical tone of the thing yes. versus something that's that's more optimistic. Like, nothing about this movie is optimistic. Like, this so is I like the those... idea that he says, like, the, the only, person, only people you can look out for is yourself. And, like, this kid gets it. I like this kid. Yes. Uh, and and it's the kid that shot him in the I, face yeah yeah i i was on board with it <laughs> yeah no it's this is one of those movies where i really hope that it's a different director next film yeah and i really hope that it ends in the next film like i really yeah. do think this could be one of those genre transitioning um pieces of character work trilogies that that really yeah. is fondly remembered in 10 to 20 years yeah kind of like the before trilogy is now yeah right but but previously the before films didn't have that much credence specifically before the second one right it was kind of like uh okay so you want to be jim jarmusch yeah thing yeah and now it's you know viewed as the genius it is because i think that paired with boyhood really cemented him as a respectable filmmaker where people feel very confident about going and buying that criterion collection trilogy dvd or blu-ray and saying this is one of my favorite trilogies of all time right you know sort of yeah like you you and i could have a debate where we both agree that christopher nolan's dark knight trilogy isn't better than the before trilogy yeah but it also isn't worse yeah they're both fantastic trilogies right Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, I, th- I think how we sort of, like, think about these in hindsight is just going to have, like, a lot to do with sort of, like, what happens, like, in politics in, like, the next, like, 20 to 50 years, which is something that, like, really, I, you I... know, the cultural landscape, I don't think, plays as much of a role in, I don't know, I might, I might take this back, but I don't think the cultural landscape plays as much of a role in how our affection for a trilogy, like, before trilogy will change over time versus something like sicario day of the soldado which i think really is like so satisfying right now when people are like particularly disillusioned with their government 
and they're like there's something Definitely. very satisfying about just seeing like the shittiness of the powers that be on hand you're like yeah these people do suck <laughs> yeah and it, it's definitely people might not want to revisit that it's hard to know i i, I, I think, think we that will the reason but... why the before trilogy holds up yeah. isn't because of politics right it's because exactly. of character work totally exactly. i think the reason that the dark knight trilogy holds up isn't because of the politics and there were politics in play back then. sure you've got to remember that yeah it's the character work right i don't think that benicio del toro will be remembered for his political statement film i think he'll be remembered right. for his amazing character work and if we're really yep. really really lucky a few people will remember that mask work that he did when he was shot in the head i agree which was incredible it was pretty good <laughs> i think that's a good oh. spot to end it i don't i, I agree don't <laughs> so let's uh let's hop to something else pick something that i'm gonna mm. be negative on because all of them i'm gonna be more negative on because we're saving the noise <laughs> yeah, then I think we should go, go back towards the top to another more recent film, which was Three Identical Strangers, a documentary. It's good to shift towards a documentary. I, I don't know. I, I call it a mockumentary, maybe. Oh, so quite strongly negative. Um, <laughs> is a document documentary's objective to be objective? It sounds like you think this was not an objective. Well, it, it definitely isn't. <laughs> I think that you know that, judging by the, your own review on Letterboxd and what happens in the last 10 to 5 minutes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, but before that, they are interviewed and asked questions, correct? Right. Yeah. Do you hear yeah. the questions? We do not. As we, as we don't in, in a lot of docs, right? Mm, I think that in a documentary about psychoanalysis like this... Mm -hmm. Asking leading questions is particularly nefarious. Whereas if it was yeah. about someone's experience, like an Allison, uh, I don't think you saw that, but it's a documentary that came out this year. It's available on Amazon Prime that. streaming. Um, she is a woman from South Africa who was uh, brutally raped by two men, disemboweled, had her neck slashed more than 40 times, and managed to collect herself and carry herself to a road and survive. <laughs> you, th this documentary, Allison, is presented very similarly, but because it's one person's take on their own act of survival. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind a lack of objectivity. Mm -hmm. In a film like this, yeah, where the the crux of the twist, quote unquote, is a mm -hmm. famous study. That almost yeah. every psychology student has to study before they finish AP their first sem semester of psychology. Yeah. It and they don't have any objectivity to it. It it's very very flawed. So let's kind of go piece by piece in the documentary. So the first, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't maybe not the first half, but the first third is just about the the brothers sort of the surviving uh, brothers correct the surviving brothers which talking about it, how they feel and how they felt how they how they felt as they found each other right but, okay but also you have to acknowledge that that's them now saying sure. how they felt then sure 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 and it's in front uh, of a camera yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. okay okay and uh, and is this a documentary funded by a political company yes it is it's funded by <laughs> cnn films just like rbg 
Right. I right. say RVG is a lot better of a documentary. Like, so what are the, like, I'm not sure what the questions are that you think were leading, you know, for like just starting with that first but chunk of the, the film, which is, I think is probably did, the better. We didn't hear the questions that were asked in that, specifically the first third. You don't hear a yeah. single question asked to them. You just hear them talking. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure like what I would have felt was leading. I mean, to me, a, a, the good, a good portion of the start of the film was just about their astonishment at discovering their double, which I think would be an an astonishing thing. And I and I and I, I thought that no, was I a agree, perfectly I agree with fine. You, but I felt feeling. like it was staged. I kept feeling like the whole mm. thing was staged. The 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 interviews. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I the way that they were expressing and acting things out i felt like it was take three almost that's fair and i think i think i agree with you to an extent like i don't think this was like a really honest um set of interviews like where he really managed to get close to these guys and get them to say like just exactly what's coming to their mind but i did sort of get swept up in that feeling of just how how astonishing this would be to, to realize you had two brothers who not only had you never met but that are your doubles. no i had to keep reminding myself that i should be trying to think that because i already yeah. knew what it was about because i right. i've been aware of twin city for a long time so it felt like it was manipulating me into making a political point at the end almost the mm. entire time by using empathy to mask a political agenda interesting I agree. Yeah, I, I, and that's not fair, that I, I am against the political agenda of making the study open. I'm completely for it. It's yeah. just they weren't upfront about it, and they pretended like mm. it's like saying that you're going to make uh, uh, what's that girl that was kidnapped when we were very little, uh, Jean Benet Ramsey. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like saying you're going to make a Ramsey, a Jean Benet Ramsey film, and pretending yeah. that she's not going to get kidnapped halfway through. You yeah. know, like it. Yeah. It was like that. Like I. I yeah. I heard other people laughing. I, I think I heard mm. someone crying. You know, like, yeah. people were moved. I wasn't one of them. And just to be clear, I love documentaries so much. That, that might be why I don't like this. Like, Icarus was yeah. a, almost one of my top ten films last oh, yeah. year. Yeah. Because it that's a documentary where you don't even get to be objective. You present objective right. facts that you're aware of. But because yeah. Russian um, just politics are so oppressive, you can't yeah. even try to get an objective side from them. Yeah. So it makes the, it makes it such. Um, there's that other movie where I think it's called This Is Not a Film. Um, yeah, I know of it. Yeah. Um, where he where it's a quote unquote documentary of I don't remember his name acting out his own film and and it's this yeah. heartbreaking scene. I won't, I won't go into it, but like these are some of my favorite documentaries. Yeah. And I don't mind a lack of objectivity when you're being oppressed. Yeah. But start with the oppression. Don't wait until three quarters of the film in to say that this adoption center is oppressive and they're repressing the ability for us or the Jewish board yeah. of uh, families is uh, keeping us from being able to get this Yale sealed study. Yeah. Start with this is a Yale sealed study uh, yeah. case and we're going to show you what it was like to be them. Well, I think this plays very differently then for somebody who who already knows exactly where this is going versus someone yeah. versus someone who doesn't, right? Who, For someone who doesn't, it's sort of playing out more like how it played out for the brothers, where what they first learned was 
that they were triplets but do you, without do you the think knowledge that of what that would follow. Is purposefully manipulative or not? Because I'm think on the so. side of I think it's purposefully manipulative. No, I think to me in that sense the the order of the the order in which you receive information is just similar to the order in which the brothers received it. They they first met each other without any idea that there was their lives had been orchestrated and we subsequently learned that as as they did i totally get that had you had you known that in advance you might just want to you might want to work backwards um but and not just work backwards just work honestly (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like if you have a point that you're going to get to in a documentary be up front with you know, you don't need to tell me everything about how the, the Jewish board of family uh, is uh, repressing the study in the beginning. Yeah. Because they, they had to, like, put that, tag that on in the white um, letters at the end credits. Almost. Right. But say um, they were experimented on or something. Lead with that. And then let, let the I think that's viewer... just, a, to me, that's a different kind of movie. Well, that feels more like an essay doc, which makes sense. Here is yes. my thesis, and here's the essay, here's the information for it. Yes. But I think I got more out of from this form, which is just different. I guess it's not not what you would have preferred. Obviously, no. The close-ups <laughs> on the face, trying to make how they feel, like yeah. So overtly, maybe a little a little heavy-handed. <laughs> I, I yeah, that's a light-handed way of putting it. I suppose. Um. It felt it felt more like I was experiencing it as as they did in uh, in terms of the sequence of events. Um, yeah, the, and then and then I agree. I then to, to sort of try to make your the- to put the thesis at the end or make a point at the end, I think that I think that was a misstep for and, sure. And uh, it's uh, too it's too it's too severe. And it's, it's a documentary mm-hmm. filmmaker making a scientific claim, right? where his evidence is how these people felt for the previous hour. I don't know if you know what bias means, but that is the inherent like version of it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think it's, it's, it's a pretty bleak movie. It leaves you feeling pretty queasy, right? That like, you know, imagine you didn't know any of this. You suddenly realize that like, Oh, these three guys had their lives and sort of been manipulated. Like that's a shitty feeling. I feel like, surely this director felt like he had to come up with something upbeat you know to end this with which i th- which i think is i like sure that i i get the the, the I, wanting I mean, to yeah. find that but like it, it it turned out pretty sentimental and just silly uh yeah mm. I, I i guess that's an interesting point because mm. i i do understand why you would want to do that right yeah. same same type of story uh have you ever read the island of dr murrow I have not. Okay, so basically there's an island. A man is shipwrecked on it. There's a doctor there, Dr. Moreau. He's performing experiments where he turns animals into people, and they're in shrieking agony um, because of it. And this jaguar man scene is one of the most despicable, queasy pieces of literature I've ever read. Yeah. And Mm. it goes so far as to save the, the hero that we're with on the island. He, yeah. he makes a skiff, he escapes the island, and he's picked up by a ship, and I believe that's exactly how it ends. Yeah. That book wouldn't have been better if it ended bleakly. Right. This film would have. Right. 
So I, I understand why you would want to do that, but I, I right. think that the decision was wrong. Specifically the form. The Island of Dr. Moreau is implicitly a science fiction right. novella. This is a documentary right. about reality. Right. And someone's making claims about a very complicated science, which is psychoanalysis. Right. right. And he's a filmmaker. He's not a scientist. <laughs> no, and the people that debate nature versus nurture... I mean, some of them are so far into their careers that they have a side to pick, but most of them don't have a side and they just love hearing more data and compiling. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. And I, I would have loved a more neutral, non-empathetic style of documentary. Right. Like, yeah. it was just how forceful they were. Those close-ups on the faces where they're trying to uh, show how they felt when their brother commits suicide was just preposterous. And that's the other thing. They, they play it like it wasn't published in newspapers or commonly known. And I, I understand yeah. that the common moviegoer doesn't know about it. But most of the exactly. people that turn up for a documentary know something about this type of stuff because they probably also read newspapers. Right. So to play it mm -hmm. in that manner, uh, I don't think it's going to age well. I'll put it that way. I don't think it's yeah. a documentary that can age well because it's yeah. it's made that way. Whereas something like Icarus can age well. Something yeah. like um, This Is Not a Movie can age incredibly well. Yeah. Not just because of politics, but because in 40 years, someone can watch that and think about what that would be like. And wow, you know, to be in that oppressive Russian regime or to be in, in um, the Middle East where that situation happens for This Is Not a Movie. I don't think anyone 40 years from now will will be talking about what the ending left them feeling like. But I could imagine... I can't even imagine them watching it. It's hard to know whether... whether there will be a better it. movie made about the study itself when it comes out in 40 years. But the the film that you're describing sounds sounds to me like something that's that's more straightforwardly formative where I, yes. I, I, I this, this 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 does seem a, a more experiential where you're left thinking about one just like how crazy it would be to, to, to realize you were a triplet like these guys did and to subsequently realize that it was deliberately kept from you and that your sort of upbringing had been orchestrated i think that's that's sort of the emotional conclusion that i came with and really any point the director wants to make about whether or not nurture can overcome nature i'm like that's sort of beside the point what's sort of just incredibly disturbing is just what exactly happened which i think this in terms no, of that's how the it... thing that's what's fascinating is that disturbing or not what, and study? if it is disturbing is it so disturbing that it shouldn't be done or is it just disturbing enough and make enough sense that it should have been done and we give them some sort of societal recompense? Uh, it, it's a utilitarianism like, view, right? You're, you're yeah. saying is, and that's the problem. We don't know what happened with the study. But if we yeah. did, we could make a utilitarian claim of, mm. and, and I'm not even a utilitarianist, but there is a fascinating argument there of is the suffering that they endured worth such a boon to the mass of society mm. that it was overall a good thing and because right. the study isn't published we don't get to know that and right. that's what's fascinating 
yeah, and that's not even it's very utilitarian yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it, that's like such a it, you know that's why i was enamored with the twin study originally fucking a yeah. decade ago yeah um yeah. and it's it's such a terrible thing that your childhood would be manufactured in such a way that you right. would be tested yeah. because that fucks with the child's psychology it absolutely right. does right but is there a chance that through their suffering as a group we can learn something impressively and impeccably valuable yeah that overshadows it and we can attempt to make any sort of a restitution with the people that were involved in the study because of the boon that they give the broad society and it's you know this is a fascinating philosophical question that we've that's been going around for over 1200 years it's you know right. what is the right thing to do when you can help a lot of people by one person suffering right yeah that's i would agree yeah kind of a classic philosophical yeah dilemma i, I which I, so the movie clearly thinks clearly comes down on one side thinking that it was wrong to do so yes. despite I, I knowing do view what that the... as a political agenda of sure. that company yeah. cnn i do view that as their personal political ob objective at the time right now 2018 i do view cnn as doing right. that on their television shows and yeah. in their films that i've seen but i don't know it it, it may be like a, an agenda for cnn to do so but i don't i don't know that that it would be that unique of an opinion that what was hidden from these kids was wrong or that this orchestration yes. was wrong. I, I, I do think. suppose that it's more of a nuanced opinion, but I do mm -hmm. think that a nuanced opinion is required to make this film to begin with. And that might be my problem with it. Because you're dealing mm -hmm. with something that's inherently about psychoanalysis, yeah. to have someone that isn't familiar with that direct it or do the questioning is very you know problematic i guess yeah i guess just the the, the the conclusion was simple enough for me which was that it was it was wrong to have manipulated these people's lives like well it's like wrong to work. hurt a kid period yeah in any way but there's a more fascinating underpinning there and it's about psychology and psychoanalysis which is yeah is the suffering that was caused yeah ever possible to reconcile you know so yeah. like a question yeah. would have like a question that i would have loved is what can make this right with you yeah for them to yeah. have asked those two surviving brothers you know yeah and yeah. it's very interesting that they that they make the claim that their brother committed suicide essentially because he was part of the study right it's so yeah so it's it's because it's I, I have a lot of family members that have committed yeah. suicide while i've been alive and before i've been alive and i don't think that you could ever pin it on any specific thing other than an addiction to something in my yeah. family's case so it's very fascinating that they make the claim and they don't get to expound on it in any meaningful way right they just make the claim and and there's no follow-up of well why do you think that's the case because they didn't yeah. know him before they were 19. So it's very fascinating yeah. to for them to make these broad claims. And I suppose that you would, if it was your twin, you would assume that you know them. But that assumption right. would be an assumption. It would be an ass out of you and me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so I, I think that I'm definitely much more negative on it. Spe <laughs> specifically because of my background. Uh, In conclusion. Studying it. 
<laughs> and you are much, fair. much more positive. Right. I've, relative to you. I yes. To be fair, I don't think this will come anywhere close to my favorite movies of the year. I think I will. Uh, I think you're going to have to lower it from that three and a half from... stars in Letterboxd <laughs> is what I think. I, w- I would, have to talk I would suggest people check it out. <laughs> Definitely Taylor check it not. out, but also follow up. Yeah. Check it out. Follow up and read about it. Um, and keep an eye out for if the studies ever get published. Follow up with that if you're interested in, in psychoanalysis and what the effects are of nature versus nurture. Because it is something that every parent minimum should know. I would agree. All right, that's the next movie. You want a refill? I do want a refill. If you pick the next movie, I'll go open the freezer. All right. Moving on to our next movie. Thus far, we have done a sci-fi comedic satire. We've done a documentary We've done sort of a dramatic action film with Sicario. So how about a drama with Leave No Trace? Something a bit more quiet. I, I think that we definitely agree plays on plays more like a whisper. <laughs> Can you hear this poor dear listener? If you can't, that's just how quiet Leave No Trace is. I'm going to turn the volume down. Nice and breathy. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Which I think we both gave the same score. Four out of five. Correct? Yeah. I think that you originally gave it a three and a half. So what made you bump it up in retrospect? Or am I incorrect there? Three and a half was perhaps because I thought it wouldn't linger with me quite like it did. I thought... uh, And another film that lingered with you was uh, The Rider. Absolutely. And did Lean on Pete linger? Absolutely. Okay. So... um, on film spotting the episode that i previously mentioned um they uh i think adam passively brings up that he thinks that all or maybe it was michael all three of those films are having a conversation with each other mm, love it and i i do think that they are and i mm. think personally the writer is the weakest of them mm-hmm. but we can leave that for later mm-hmm. why is leave no trace so strong i think the biggest strength of it is if if there is one single thing are the performances themselves i have never been a ben foster fan i think this is easily the best thing he has done i think there's do you think this is the most subtle thing he's done uh yeah i would think so um i think there is more restraint i think he's doing more with his face than he usually does he's doing he's doing much less with with words themselves than he usually does i think about ben foster sort of going crazy like he does in hell of high water hell or high water i think i i prefer him in this sort of quieter register which i think is just much more in sync with sort of the overall tone of this film and i think he works super well with the girl um i can't remember that actress's name let's just dig into ben here do you think that he's been typecast up until and this maybe film, that's why you don't like him because he's been typecast in a type that you don't necessarily gravitate towards. Absolutely. Totally. Do you think that he's been typecast in a similar vein as Michael Shannon? Uh, to some extent, yes, I do. Because Michael I, Shannon does have, so he has a separate ability with Chicago theater, where right, he's right. been able to kind of build out, and because he's done first time films with very small directors. 
right. because he did bug, because he did take shelter. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been able to build out his filmography because he had right. the chance to do uh, Elvis and Nixon. Right. Right. He's been able to build out his filmography. But if you only go off of movies that had more than a $60 million budget. Yeah. You know, and not that Leave No Trace has a big budget, but this is the first yeah. time that he's had a chance. And this is yeah. the first movie that he's been in that isn't necessarily uh, commercial fare. Yeah, that's fair. So perhaps you could more easily classify him as a character actor. And with most character actors, you sort of like what they're doing or you don't, since mm-hmm. it is sort of consistent from from performance to performance and it's very much he hasn't been a personal favorite i yeah. on michael shannon on the other hand i have kind of enjoyed um, but is that ironic. because of his other stuff or if we just talk about man of steel did you love him as zod i did not see man of steel so i can't speak okay so you're not even seeing his <laughs> you know larger than life performances perhaps right, right. what did you think of uh, bug did you get a chance to see that with shannon i did see bug that yeah the william freaking one mm-hmm. right i liked him in bug I love it. It's one of my. I, I love um, Tracy Letts' screenplays more than right. anything. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Um. So. I I I think I have just maybe not been a huge fan of, of sort of the the roles he's been attracted to and sort of what has become sort of his his shtick in a way, which is you know maybe been a, a to go little crazy bit more outsized. Like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Which just which, in general is not usually. It it might not be him. Specifically, it's just that the performances I tend to gravitate towards are something a little, a little more quiet. But um, so something interesting maybe is, what do you think about the actors opposite of Ben Foster, in those mm. larger than life roles? Is that perhaps right. one of your favorite Chris Pine performances? Chris Pine performances, uh, Hell or High Water. Oh oh oh, uh, Chris Pine I do like just a little more in general. Um, yeah, but I, so for me, I thought that his performance was particularly even better because of the color provided by Ben. Right. Certainly, there there there, there is a juxtaposition there of personalities, yes. which is satisfying. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Um, yeah, the, I guess the the problem with the with the, the the character acting phenomenon is that if it's it's there to sort of provide that contrast. And it doesn't necessarily leave me really wanting to see Ben Foster in a movie of his own. Had I seen Hella High Water and not seen anything else of his, I would have seen him there as that, you know, as serving that purpose of contrast. What's so nice about Leave No Trace is that I feel like this does get you excited to see him doing more things where he carries the film on his own shoulders. Not to, you know, yeah. short trip to the girl. But I think more it is just much more satisfying to see him get get a little more emotional weight and not be there to sort of be this um, juxtaposing little ball of chaos or something. His passive facial emotions too, right? Just wreak havoc. They're they're almost walking Phoenixian, you know, like right. Without saying a word, Ben can make me go on an emotional ride and be with him every step of the way right and i think that's the that's where a character actor can separate themselves from the flock that's where to me ben foster separates from like a jeffrey dean morgan 
with Jeffrey Dean Morton? Uh, he plays uh, Batman's dad in the newer DC. Oh, right, But right, he right. plays, like, Negan in The Walking Dead. He right, played the yeah, comedian yeah. in The Watchmen, which I think is yeah. probably his best role because uh, an actor like him works best behind a mask almost, right. where you can just see his grin. Right. You know? Um, and, and with Ben, he has something in his eyebrows that can convey moroseness sadness empathy uh confusion elation like just with the upper part above his nose i can change how i'm feeling based on what he does right and i think that that's the mark of a truly great character actor that's like i Mm. think why um what's the fellow's name that did lucky paris texas as well harry dean stanton Yes, so that's, yeah. I think Harry Dean Stanton never got anywhere because he wasn't able to do something with his eyebrows. Interesting. You know, just as far as a performance goes. Yeah. Because you can definitely make someone feel different. If you can make someone feel differently with your face without opening your mouth, I think that you can right. get a lot farther in um, making compelling works of art that people want to revisit. Yeah. So, as he steps away from that character actor shtick or even steps like him in so hard no into it i think he steps yeah. even harder into mm-hmm. it and doesn't he plays the opposite of what he always plays right he plays someone who's beleaguered yeah. with depression and post-traumatic yeah. stress that doesn't act out right or right. tries as hard as not to right and i i definitely think that because thomason is such an exceptional um almost like off the cuff like she's not trying to act young right. actress that yeah. it just heightens the reality of everything. And I didn't... Right. I, I'd say after 15 minutes of me being confused about what type of a movie I was watching, I just thought right. that I was watching real life. And when it ended, I was like, right. oh, I guess I'm in a more northern part of Washington now. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I th- it, yeah, it's interesting to also compare this to uh, Lean on Pete since they're both in the Pacific Northwest. I think the Pacific Northwest is having a pretty good year movie making i think it, both... it's having an equally good and bad year i'd say bad I, i've watched way. some of the netflix films oh, that are okay. based in in uh different, washington different, and those are part of the crop yeah and if we go back to 2017 with such films as death note who... oh yeah Another but you know i guess nerve kind of made up for it mm. <laughs> that in set in the northwest i believe that that really? final scene was like um with with dave franco and emma roberts was yeah. here in seattle or That's actually it was shot in vancouver but it was supposed to be here in seattle yeah but yeah, yeah we've also mm. had uh this terrible bella thorne movie i don't even remember the name of it like sunset song Ooh. or something uh oh i don't think I oh know yeah that. it came out this year mm. i Not think good. i gave it a one mm. so real real good all right so these are our two p and w standouts i would think yeah uh and what's interesting is that they're i i would classify as low budget fair with right. excellent young actors absolutely excellent and they're both mm-hmm. empathetically driven without trying to derive empathy right both pretty tuned into their sense of place lean on pete i think about eastern washington like i never really have before i think about him wandering out in eastern washington with his horse and how sort of quiet his gestures are that really speak volumes and how just well captured the the eastern washington landscapes are leave no trace captures a really different kind of 
atmosphere to the Pacific Northwest, which I think is that the wet greenery. You think about them the being humidity. in that park. Absolutely. I felt like that was just really, really satisfying texture to the film. Um, I, I think that, that these characters were situated in. There's two passive shots that aren't important at all that might be some of the most important parts of um, Leave No Trace. And that's the beginning. They show, I believe it's two, but it could be just one or even more than two. Empty spider webs. Yeah. Listening in the yeah. sunlight, dressed in dew. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's about two or three spider webs loaded with mosquitoes or flies. Right. Mm. Dancing in the sunlight. Oh, yeah. And I think that there's something very passive and informative about the symbolism of mm. what happens in between those buttressing uh, spider webs. Right. Very. Mm. Uh, I, I was just taken with the thoughtfulness and the open for interpretation that those images I agree. conjure. I think there are some pretty potent metaphors in this movie that I didn't really like, th- that I didn't really tune into right off the bat. And maybe that's why I, that three and a half were, came out Were you first. the one that went crazy about the Christmas tree making? Absolutely. Yeah, you did. You I adored you the, that the tree amazing. farm <laughs> situation. I thought I loved, that was very I loved satisfying. That part in the film, but I did not leap to such far conclusions as you did in your letterbox review. Right. I, I did think that that was a very satisfying choice for his first occupation. It could have Elaborate. been anything. It could have been. Inform the so, listener on what exactly you thought about right, this so, Christmas tree farm shortly after ben foster's character and his daughter are discovered in the park and forced to sort of assimilate of all the jobs that he could possibly land at his first job you'd think it you know it'd be like construction or garbage work or something like that i don't know something you know super blue collar he gets a job on a tree farm of all places which is which makes sense in the very blue collar yeah, yeah, still, still, and specifically in that part in Oregon, it makes absolute sense. If you ever right. go down there, I think it's on the road in between um, Portland and Salem. Right, you'll you'll see this place where it's farmland, and then there's hills, and some crops don't necessarily grow well in the soil on those hills, and there is a lot of trees growing there, um, right. specifically in that Salem, North Salem area. Right, absolutely, it makes so it, it's great sense within the place. Realistically accurate. Like, it's Absolutely. all real places. Right. It makes complete sense for where they are, and it, it, it that's blue-collar, as, as anything else I mentioned. But on so many occasions, he's sort of talking about his sort of, you know, desire to retain his sense of self and individuality. They say on a number of occasions that he wants to... Um, think his own thoughts and that he's worried that as they assimilate you know pretty soon they're going to be you know eating other people's food and doing you know these all these other things that normal people seem to do and he seems to be stressed out by this idea of just becoming another you know white another sheep in the flock or i don't don't know i'm kind of mixing up my metaphors here but um I, i i think he's sort of obsessed with this idea about being who he is and not sort of losing losing what defines him and 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 getting his daughter to sort of realize the importance of that as well so to me the irony of ending up on a tree farm 
where the, where he's tasked with making sure all the trees look exactly the same. I thought that was just sort of a, a pleasantly ironic choice of of work. That is definitely uh, pleasantly ironic. I think I <laughs> I took a different tone with the film, um, in my interpretation of what was happening as soon as the newspaper clipping becomes involved in the consciousness of the viewer. Remind me of the newspaper clipping. Um, so in the documents that she goes back for with the uh, yeah. oversight of the government lady, um, yeah. she goes through and it says um, uh, a platoon or a squadron played mm. by suicide. Right, right, right. Which implies that everyone, that because he's not interacting with anyone else, because he's not going to a P.O. box and exchanging letters when they're yeah. doing these city runs, that his whole squadron has committed suicide. And that more than him attempting to not become part of rea- the group of people that constitute quote unquote reality, yeah, he's trying to not commit suicide. Yeah, that's. And personally, I, I'm gravitated more towards this plot line where, if he's relegated to day to day life, mm-hmm. he will have suicidal thoughts. But if he's as busy, yeah, as you have to be, and is consumed with just staying alive. As you would be in the battlefield, as he is living yeah. out outside, he can manage to stave off those thoughts, and they're right. relegated to dreams that wake him up. Right. And as soon as he's presented with a solution to help him, the dog, mm-hmm. he runs away permanently. Yeah. And I I thought that that was very tied to this newspaper clipping of, because mm-hmm. we aren't exposed to the rest of the squad at all. Because this is one of the very few documents he keeps in the Ziploc bag. Yeah. He is part of the squad. And he is right. perhaps the last one that didn't commit suicide. Right. And perhaps the reason he didn't when everyone else did was because of his daughter. And now right. his daughter has outgrown that. But he hasn't outgrown his own desire for death. Right. And my, the most moving part of the tree farm to me was when the helicopter comes in. Absolutely. And he starts oh, clutching his ears clearly. and crouching. And right. what dances across his face there, this character acting ability of using his eyebrows to make me feel, yeah. made me on his side in that moment more than I was in any other part of the movie. Because right. by the end, when they're in the trailer, I was on Thomason's side. I was like, no, you can stay here. You can yeah. leave every weekend and go camping. You can leave intermittently and you know where she is and you can come back and see her yeah but no he leaves permanently and she it you know it ends with her hanging a bag for him right and what i was confused about and i'm sure that this is just nitpicking is Mm. he never knew about the bag he never knew about that Mm. who the girl um there's there's this older gal who's also a character actress who runs the trailer park who's been bringing this bag to the tree for years she says like 20 years she hasn't seen him in 20 years but every time she comes back the bag is empty and he loves dried carrots um i don't recall ben foster ever being informed about this right i think that was a conversation between thomason and that woman you're right so i'm curious why i i don't know maybe i was reading into it that she was hanging the bag for her father maybe that was on right But I thought she was hanging the bag for her father. And maybe she right. was hanging the bag in memory of her father or in honor right. of her father. Maybe I'm still seeing this out live right now. 
I think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why we do this. Yeah. I think that's right. I think I took it the same way, where she's sort of taking on... No, no, no. Uh, I took it the uh, wrong way, I think. I thought she was hanging it specifically for Ben, for her dad. I thought she was hanging that bag for him. I really right. did at, at the end there. Like, I, I was very confused. Yeah, I, I think she was... I, I read it as she was hanging the bag uh, for for whoever this, this woman has historically hung the bag for, but with her dad in mind, right? Okay. Um, no, I, I was like, that, that there she's are... hanging it for him, like, directly. I was like... Yeah. So I assumed that, and then I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But my assumption right. was flawed. Per- right. So perhaps may- maybe the biggest flaw is that or maybe that's what she wanted us to do. Mm, yeah. Maybe she wanted us to get confused there about what it means. Yeah. To keep someone alive. Um, right. Who who isn't part of society anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That that's an interesting reading to me because you know you you might just like I feel like it's easy to just describe the two characters as as homeless. I know they don't describe themselves as that i wouldn't describe them as that but that's right once again because my own personal history in the short sort of description of the movie you might describe ben foster's character and his daughter as homeless and you know what does everybody perhaps wrongly homeless to me is i have a shopping cart and i navigate sidewalks right right you know so if you're doing more than that if you're setting camp if you're providing for yourself off of the land if if you're trying to use the system in a way that provides comfort if you're making a point to buy chocolate every time you get paid yeah i i understand why someone might view it as homeless but i think because of my own upbringing of being at certain points extremely poor i i understand how there is a home to be found emotionally between those two characters yeah I, i could see i could see a certain type of person learning about these characters and thinking of them as homeless as lazy as not contributing as living off public land and i think there's which i which I, I do not agree with but i think there there's irony in this idea that um just like he said he would be he, he could be too bored in regular society just working a normal job to not be so distraught that he and, might and contemplate not, not suicide. It's, too it's so bored. invigorating for him to live like this. Not, that's not necessarily of... too bored. I, I would say, not struggling enough. He uh, needs to yeah. str- He needs to be thinking of like. So their downfall is that they didn't move camp, right? Right. And to me, that kind of comes off as he's obsessed with whether or not they're going to be tracked. He's trying to teach her yeah. to not get tracked. He's teaching her chess when they finally yeah. get caught. So he's trying to teach her strategy dynamics and also how to survive based on resources. Yeah. Which, you know, it is very um, fulfilling to figure out how much your monthly budget is. Yeah. And then live the most off of it. Right. And And he's just doing that in a way that keeps him from having the ability to consider suicide very often while he's awake yeah i agree i think it this came out the weekend after fourth of july as did the first purge two very different sort of movies you might watch while thinking about america and i definitely appreciate this movie's sort of 
um, empathy for different um, for different American approaches to life. Um, and it's more broad approach, I think. For sure. I, I definitely, you know what, I, I really did not like the first Purge. I loved the earlier yeah. Purges. I don't know if you've yeah. watched all of the Purge movies, but that's what's made it I have seen one and two, but not three, so okay. most. Yeah. The point is brutal murder constantly. Um, it takes about an hour to get to the first murder. Yeah. Uh, and the first murder is simultaneous with another murder. And yeah. they cut between them. Yeah. Was that the ATM murder and the uh, the attack on the uh, drug kingpin of Staten Island? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. By the two strippers. Right. That are hired by his second or third in command. Um, yeah. It really, just sort of dissipates the tension. It's just yeah. Not so they effective. they cut back and forth between two acts of aggression, and it understates either um action because yeah, yeah. you aren't sort of compelled. Come at the expense of each other yeah you, you aren't compelled to like is he gonna survive well he's already dead at the atm or is he gonna survive yeah. damn he threw her down on the pool table you're not supposed yeah. to hit a girl but she's trying to stab you <laughs> shit this is complicated <laughs> right exactly either one of them might have been fine on their own but they kind of come at the expense of each other yeah and there's uh I don't know what quality of camera they used, but it was not a good one. Yeah, there wasn't much that I just enjoyed looking at in the first bird. I think my favorite scene was when his bodyguard or friend throws him down under the SUV and the drone kills everyone. The drones were kind of fun, I would agree. I still think my favorite part in any of the church in any of the purges is before any of the murders has happened and it's just that the just the announcement of the purge yeah and then i the think alarms, that's a good moment and of then suspense. the alarms yeah. absolutely that is just tremendously satisfying and and that's that's hard to have such a, a big moment of suspense that just by the premise of the movie has to be front-loaded right yep. and then it's sort of like dissipation of suspense after after that yeah dissipation um, of uh just the fact that people can murder now right exactly like Uh, it's not that people can break in it's not that people can do brutal acts of of, you know rape or whatever which is terrible (laughs) but it's that people can cut other people's faces off and wear it now right Mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do besides try to not be one of them right and the impending sense of doom and yeah the the just it's such a great premise and such a terrible execution for a purge movie yeah and what's weird about this one is that there is like so obviously plenty of people who decide not to participate and then there are those who do participate but it doesn't really have any explanation for like why they didn't that is um why didn't they take a bus for 12 hours some people decide to party right like they make a big point of there being purge parties the purge is only Um, 12 hours in the first purge it's not 24 yeah. hours, which I believe is um, what it moves to after mm-hmm. after this. And so the, the first 12 hours are only on Staten Island from 12 a.m. midnight to 12 yeah. p.m. noon. Yeah. They all could have left. Yeah. 
the only ones that should have stayed are the ones that agreed to take money from the government for slaying right. and wearing those stupid contacts. Right. So there's, I mean, you can't make an argument for any sort of poverty where someone won't go pawn something to keep their children alive with a $4 bus ticket. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just, it, it falls apart. Except that perhaps we are just arguably not in a position to, to, to say whether or not it is justifiable for those characters to want that money, right? I think that I've been in a position before <laughs> where I feel very comfortable with saying, if you don't love your kid enough, to pawn Ooh. something and get a $4 ticket yeah. on a bus for them to go sit on a sidewalk for 12 hours and not die, yeah, you are a bad parent. I feel Fair very enough. comfortable in that. I don't think that your color matters. Yeah. I think that the $5,000 you would get if your kid dies doesn't matter because it's your kid and you should love them. Yeah. Now, I understand the debate of your own life yeah. and whether or not it's worth $5,000. Absolutely get that. But your own kid, I don't buy it for a second. Yeah. That's like, would I keep my cat in an area where she could die for 10 minutes with 50% certainty for $5,000? Or would I not do that? I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Because it's the ethical choice. And I, I don't buy that they don't love their kids because they clearly love their kids in this movie. Yeah. It makes no sense that they wouldn't have the church do a collection to send all the kids off the island. It just, yeah. there's so many mental anomalies that take place i don't buy yeah. it not for a second and that's where the purge book in previous installments hasn't given me enough time or enough broadness for me to not buy something it's been a yeah. limited character study and i think yeah. that this might be the first purge where it's not a limited character study on someone trying to survive the night where it's yeah. they try to make a case for the night and there isn't a case to be made for the purge yeah. It's a heinous thing that would never exist in reality. Yeah. Yeah. E exclusive of a fascist regi regime. Yeah. And they pretend that a fascist regime could rise up. And many people say that it has, but it's still a democratically elected regime at the moment. And yeah. there's how many lawsuits and, you know, like this just yeah. isn't ever going to happen. So reality yeah. is, is eluded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still think the purge franchise exists best as an opportunity just for well-staged action choreography and violence and, and suspense and suspense and they really didn't play with the suspense like they could it's just not like they made the execution is everything jokes. it's like this doesn't need to have ideas like this should be all execution and this don't just like just didn't have it, it wasn't or, or it can have ideas but it needs to be ideas that we don't know are ideas until after we watched yeah. it and we and we're talking about more... it or something, and, yeah. and we're figuring out, oh, maybe they did we that them for to ourselves. fuck with me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know. This, this announced its ideas maybe a little too, a little too loudly. Okay, um, that's yeah, kind of. <laughs> it. How many how many stars did you give it on Letterboxd? I could give it a two. Maybe I give a it one, a one and, and a half. Oh, uh, you gave it a one and a half. Yeah. It, it's I like the two is well. like I think you might have lowered your standards to mine. It, it's pro it's probably still just the hope that I have for the franchise. It's like I cannot help but want this to be like a super fun, exhilarating. Well, what franchise, about that trailer but... for the limited series show? 
Uh, I was mildly entertained. I don't. I do not think this is the right kind of thing that that needs a series. I do. I absolutely, before this film, thought that it needed a limited series. Really? I thought it needed an eight-hour limited series where we spend one hour with a different character over the same purge, ah, and we yeah, see I different see parts that. of the city, and That'd it always fine. ends with the victim dying or the victim That'd of this fine. of the of the um, episode dying. Yeah. But after this, going into that trailer, yeah, and what they gave, I'm less than very, very, very disappointed. I am extremely disappointed. Like I don't think yeah. it's going to be anything. But if you go off of the last one with, um, I don't even remember his name now, Frankie, not Muniz, shit. The third purge. Yeah, if you go yeah, off the yeah. the third purge you realize that there's a very incredible compelling story to be told in the gritty streets yeah. trying to survive with guns and and melee weapons yeah and if they made a show one hour episodes limited characters with great you know actors that you've seen in things that don't really get their own due like if they could get um yeah. The guy that plays the alligator man in Suicide Squad. I, I don't remember his name. And <laughs> even if either. I did remember yeah. it, I wouldn't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. But he's such a nuanced actor. doesn't have yeah. very many opportunities. If he could get a chance to just show us a very compelling story where he's beating people with a crowbar and surviving yeah. and throwing that crowbar in a door to, to run away long enough to go get this shotgun in this alley and then he, he goes into the sewer <laughs> grate and he waits underneath it and then they go over him and then he pops up through the sewer grate and he shotguns him you know that would be amazing if they could get you know this talent but what they've done is not get talent they've gone yeah. for the cheap pop culture thing right now they're, they're doing yeah. this you know there's like nine things that i've seen this year that are this two one and a half star fair yeah that's very politically charged yeah and i feel like it's because get out had such success but what get out had was really clear direction in in a story that didn't revolve around politics it revolved yeah. ar around how it feels to be this person and i feel yeah. like these political movies aren't always about how it feels to be this person it's about yeah. how it politically looks and feels to be this person yeah and i think it's much more nuanced if they tell me how it feels yeah get out really benefited from a central performance that we really don't get in the purge there isn't like any particular character that i remember super strongly there's Whereas, the drug dealer and then there's the girl that used to date the drug dealer there yeah right there are people but and i don't remember brother, any of them where's sort the of, contacts right i don't remember any of them like i remember daniel kaluuya sort of raising his eyebrows at this this family and he's like this is fucking weird yeah right that is just something you feel and it feels like it's just kind of steeped in history there's this weird comedy as you watch you know these white people raising their auction uh yeah papers, this horrendous right? sense of of Ugh, loathing yeah. and just uh, oh my god it was moving yeah yeah and, and it is, terrifying it is, in the worst yeah. ways and and so good yeah at yeah. doing it and steven root what a fucking great performance you get out yeah. right and yeah. these I think that's the thing. These performances don't add up to anything. I agree. Yeah. 
right when the cg mm-hmm. fire is more memorable than any performance and it's, it's terrible it's definitely it makes it very forgettable it makes it fun for a very short amount of time like the only thing that compares with that is when they're going up the church that's just been massacred yeah. and there's the jump scare of her friend having survived yeah and it's yeah. like you know it, it's just not a you know we've given it more time here than it ever merited <laughs> yeah we we got here from leave no trace <laughs> yes we did <laughs> that's how it goes so we are we are strong no's on the first, first purge but strong yeses but absolutely no give it a vod and see if it's for you <laughs> because it is certainly not for us <laughs> but we retain hope for the franchise yeah perhaps? just don't spend ten dollars on that ticket wait for vod people pretty fair what well, else we got next? got la confidential which we're both just gonna agree about i th- yeah I, yeah i think the tale might have the most for us to dive into i think that's a that's a fair choice i just watched this recently you watched it a little while ago yeah i watched right? it in the beginning of may when it first came out yes uh and i think we were both both positive on it absolutely Horror's performance is incredible um, yeah the fact that it's a true story depicted by the director screenwriter is yeah. very um it certainly adds a color to it that is missing from a, what we've talked about so far. The yeah. fact that it's true and presented in an authentic way. Right. Because the authenticity is what was missing from Three Identical Strangers. <laughs> Deep cut right there. Yeah, I've seen uh, more than a handful of people sort of, uh, you know, make the comment, the, the, the rather sharp comment that it feels like a lifetime movie to them which i think is which i think is unfair i sort of i, I, think, I think that I it does feel like a lifetime movie if lifetime movies were of immense quality great yeah. nuance and excellent performance right i think this is better written i think this is better acted i think i think, I think facts i think <laughs> i think those are facts i think it's sort of the look and sort of the feel of it that maybe kind of give it that sense um I do think I, of Lifetime movies as usually ones that sort of involve personal suffering in some way, which is not a bad thing. I think, like, Lifetime movie is sort of used in a pejorative, but it's sort of just a descriptor for movies that usually involve empathy and aren't terribly well-crafted. Crafted, They're pretty brightly lit. I, I think that if they, this they is a Lifetime like movie, then mm. Laura Dern's previous film that is also excellent, Certain Women, mm is equally yeah. a lifetime movie right but i i don't think that defining it helps someone understand it right but i think the way in which this might fit the description of a lifetime movie whereas certain women wouldn't is sort of like the compositions themselves i, I think of kelly Riker as being like so you, super so you mean attentive. like the framing exactly like i think of many well, images because I, I haven't seen it in a while so what what specific scenes give you this so I, I remember like in the rocking certain, chair in the tail or certain women the the tail uh i don't remember the rocking chair is isn't the rocking chair on the is that where the scene happens in her youth uh, or am I am I mixing know. terrible things that happen to little girls? <laughs> that is it's entirely possible. There there is another thing then, of that I'm thinking of where, uh, yeah, it could be like the sinner or something. 
uh, with oh. Jessica Biel. Ah, yeah, yeah. Also known as JT's wife. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think Kelly Reichardt in Certain Women is super interested in how things fit within the frame, how sound is coming across, and how that sort of builds a sense of place. I don't think the tale is quite as sharp when it comes to sort of its use of its use of color and um, its attention just to you know minor changes in its soundscape like i think it does sort of look oh it's like absolutely an right? hbo original film right like, i think that's what people kind it, of describe it is definitely when they... it. but it's the same type of a thing that you got with um uh riley Keough's performance and um shoot what is the name of that movie do you know what i'm talking about the movie that she just did earlier this year for hbo um girlfriend experience no that was a limited tv series i don't think i know Um, this this is a a hbo film that she did with um a very prominent actor named al pacino who plays a football coach oh paterno Paterno. I did not see Paterno. Joe Paterno. But I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so she, she gives this great performance, and it's very much mm. a TV movie. Yeah. yeah. But it's a TV movie with an excellent performance. Yeah. And I yeah. think that what the tale has that, that Paterno didn't. Yeah. Is three excellent performances. I agree. Laura Dern. Elizabeth the Debicki. Girl. Is that the girl? No, Elizabeth Debicki is the. Uh, the, the uh girl who teaches her how to ride the horses oh interesting we would we would have gone with the different three i would have gone with laura dern the actress that plays younger laura dern's younger self and i would have gone with god jason something the guy that plays laura dern's abuser essentially i would have gone with elizabeth debecky i really think equally an abuser absolutely absolutely um it's not like i don't i don't think definitely the 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 young girl i don't know her name that plays young yeah. laura dern i never for an instant thought that i was watching something that wasn't real me either. she was it was, it was very much like leave no trace after the first yeah. 10 minutes i forgot that i was watching a movie and i was watching reality in every yeah. sense of the word because it was a real story and it really yeah. did happen to the director yeah and yeah what she goes to say and not say i think is is the most um interesting statement politically of or or psychologically yeah. of the year yeah maybe other than um soderbergh's unsane which is mm-hmm. regardless of the fact that this happened to me and i haven't grappled with it yeah i'm gonna keep trying and that's fine yeah you need to accept me for who i am as i sit here on this bathroom floor as both the little girl that was shattered and confused and the adult yeah. girl that is confused about why she's shattered and how to yeah move. And um, yeah. I do think it's worth noting that Common was very, very good. Common was was sharp. I agree. Very, I was skeptical. I was very skeptical when I saw him. But very small performance. Strong. But he's asked to be a compassionate, caring yeah. lover. And he is absolutely those. I agree. He's very sharp. Um, I don't think that there are that many other movies this year that had kind of as strong of a cast as it did i'm i don't know why i keep blanking on the name of the guy i the think actor. Ocean's 8. 
maybe Ocean's Eight. Um, I think I think it's a it, it's a really Ant Man. I have not seen Ant Man and the Wasp yet. Definitely, but um, so, I mean Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> Michael Douglas, Michael Pena. Did I mention Paul Rudd? How about Evangeline Lilly? A lot of great people there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy that plays Laura Dern's abuser in his youth, I thought uh, was was terrific. I think that's a hard role. I was to very do. convinced by it. I really was. Um, and I can only imagine the catharsis that the director would have had directing it. Right. Exactly. Like I it was almost like I helped someone grieve just by watching their process of of talking it out with themselves in the art form of cinema. Yeah. It was a very Yeah. I'm very glad that I watched it and it really sucks that no one's really gonna get to it. It does feel like one that's sort of gonna fall under the radar somehow for the like you know when when it comes to kind of thinking about the year as a whole or something like that or even just like recent movies as a whole but i think so many movies claim to be about sort of like memory or perspective and kind of like broad ideas like that and i think how to grapple with it or how to handle it or how to move forward or if you should and yeah it does all of that this was just so much more satisfying as you kind of figure out how Laura Dern's character is realizing how she had this encounter in her memory versus how it sort of is from a different perspective and and, and what that really means in a more objective way like that was all just like super rich no matter what it looked like even if it had that kind of tv movie kind of feel to it like just that that character and that writing I think like far transcended any sort of like problem you might have with the craft um i didn't have a problem with the craft be and and i think that me more than you i i I look at how a movie was made and i adjust my position on how to judge it based on that i don't have a strict criteria of this is a movie i'm going to judge it this way i say this is an hbo original film yeah i've seen what those numbers look like as far as budget yeah and i understand that this is definitely a passion project yeah and the fact that it was of the immense quality that it was regard regarding its budgetary restrictions made it better for me and i definitely use something like budgetary constrictions before i judge the film to have a more nuanced view of how i'm getting to watch what i'm getting to watch yeah yeah, and, and I guess that, like, that makes sense, but I guess I, that just ends up leading me towards sort of having, like, different sets of, like, favorites and, and lists because there are the ones that I know just sort of affected me the most, that affected me, you know, in, in the deepest sense versus those that, that affected me relative to what resources they had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so like, I think the exception proves no the rule, reason we, right? should, we shouldn't have multiple lists. And, a- absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think that something like Get Out, once again, yeah. is the exception that proves the rule. It's yeah. very tiny budget. Yeah. Absolutely proves that budget constraints affect a movie. And because it yeah. was such a slam, it, 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 it defined how 
production companies have made decisions. Specifically, yeah. Bloomhouse. They're making decisions that they yeah. didn't make two years ago. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. the first Purge. You know, they're doing yeah. things because of the shadow that they cast with a movie like Get Out. And now the Black Panther is going to prove the rule in a false way, I think. Mm. Where, yeah. you know, I'm really glad that we're going to get blind spotting, which I haven't seen yet. Um, I think that you've seen oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we got Sorry to Bother You. But I think that those films aren't going to be as important as what the director is going to make. Yeah. And I think that something yeah. like Traffic with a K got <laughs> yeah. greenlit because of a movie like Get Out and Black Panther. Yeah. Or, or the forecasting for Black Panther. And I think that the first Purge got made because of Get Out and because of, yeah. uh, of all these other movies getting greenlit. And I think that a, like a comedy like Uncle Drew got greenlit yeah. because of that. And that's like something that was great. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they took uh, the TSA character from Get Out and they made yeah. him the fulcrum on which this NBA comedy is built. Yeah. And it's yeah. just a fun watch, much yeah. like Blockers was a fun yeah. watch. You yeah. just have a fun time watching it, and there's a lot to criticize about the camera work, the composition, the framing. Yeah. But you got to watch some fun characters be fun. Right, right. So I'm thinking about a movie like 12 Years a Slave, whose budget I could not tell you off the top of my head. I can tell you that Brad Pitt was It probably in had, it had some money. It was his production company behind part right. of it. Right, And it was directed by Steve fucking McQueen. <laughs> So I, I could tell you that it had one of the best working directors. Yeah. And I, I mean... I, 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 like, I do think the formalism of that movie versus similarly race-focused movies like Get Out or Sorry to Bother You does sort of instinctively want me to put 12 Years a Slave above those movies in a certain sense. I, I, I get an, a sort of an aesthetic pleasure from the... Uh, you know the the attention to how things fit within the frame that i don't get from something like get out okay but there's another you. movie that we could compare to um from nate i don't remember his last name but he it's starred probably. in it was is that his name birth of a nation yes i didn't see so that one but we, yeah. we could comp yeah. okay if yeah. you had seen it we could compare the birth of a nation to 12 years a slave and yeah. the difference is the birth of a nation doesn't have someone who's willing to make a compromise ah, and 12 okay. years a slave has someone who's willing to make a compromise you mean character wise or uh, i mean like it, or filmmaker wise i think that in 12 years a slave we can't tell but i'd i'd bet there's more than a dozen times where he deferred to the editor instead of his own mm. preference mm. of what to do and I, and i think that um like mad max fury road Mm -hmm. he george miller defers to his wife mm -hmm. he said i i want you to edit this because you're a woman and women mm -hmm. don't edit action films and that will make it mm -hmm. unique and yeah. i i yeah. think that in certain films the uniqueness comes from editing mm -hmm. i think that nate parker had such a overt touch in what he wanted birth of a nation to look like that yeah. it didn't look original it looked like what we assumed it would look like based on going to history class in fourth grade yeah yeah whereas 12 years a slave we were very confused that brad pitt could be a sympathetic slave owner yeah. at all yeah yeah we were on chuetel at edge of Horror's side the entire time but the fact yeah. that brad pitt was sympathetic at all 
made us question our own morality in a very special way that A Birth of a Nation never gets into the nuances of. And I think that a great film makes me philosophically question myself. And I think that a film that isn't great doesn't do that. And that's why I definitely have more philosophically engaging films at the tops of my lists. Whereas you maybe go more for form. I would say that you absolutely love I do love greatly form. value form, for sure. Uh, do you think that Mad Max is, at the top, is, is high on your list? Do you absolutely. think that is, is that more for because of your formal considerations or for philosophical considerations? It's I would for think editing, of, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that that's form or they can be both i mean i don't yeah i, I, yeah, yeah, I think it's in the yeah, middle yeah. um yeah there's specifically a scene that i was drawn attention to by a reddit thread mm-hmm. where in the beginning of the film when max is being enslaved he is yeah. hit in the head and running through a hallway yeah and you don't get to see the full hallway she yeah. cuts so that you are seeing corners and sides of the hallway and yeah. missing entire sections of it yeah. As a symptom of you, the viewer, being like Max, hit in the head. Oh, yeah. And it is these yeah. choices that really elevated it to be a next level action film for me. Because it makes the viewer yeah. coincide with the figure that you're with. Yeah. And the figure that you're with isn't necessarily a hero. Yeah. Or a villain. He's just the character that shows you how heroic Charlize Theron is. Yeah. And I really love films where you inhabit the silhouette or the or the the blank space of a character and then you interact with all the other characters within the film. That might be a good transition to Gaspar Noé since that's kind of what Enter the Void is doing, right? That is absolutely not, what Enter we the We can start Void there that's not chronologically the order. It might be a natural segue. Though. We we Who may knows? want to start with love and end with irreversible. <laughs> That I think Enter sense. the Void might be more of a middle ground because yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Enter the Void we see some cinematography that he uses in love. Yeah. And Irreversible yeah. is the film that he made because he couldn't make Enter the Void yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. I'm going to go to the restroom really quick and then we're going to die. <sighs> What's love got to do with it? And we're back. Starting. A very short break. <laughs> to the bathroom very short starting not chronologically but with gaspar noe's love which you were positive on i am positive on all of gaspar's work but yes i am extremely positive on love more than any of his other films i'd say having seen this in the theater in 3d and at home yes on both occasions positive and really wishing you could dodge those con shots. I can imagine. Uh, I was positive as well. I think maybe not quite as positive. I think you gave, what'd you give it? Four and a heart. Four and a heart. I gave it three and a half and a heart. I, I did uh, rate Enter the Void higher, but I do think that Love is a better work. Yeah. I think uh, right off the bat with Love, despite being, I was more excited for Love than any other of Gaspar Noe's movies. I was most concerned right was out of the gate. Was that because of my pitch? Or? 
because probably of, just because of the sheer subject matter. Yes. <laughs> I think naturally it's a exciting. beautiful blonde French girl and a beautiful dark haired, I believe, Spanish girl. Hard not to that be are someone excited gonna for. definitely going to be naked in a bed for a large, significant portion. I of can't movie. argue with that a whole lot. I was probably more concerned ten minutes in than any of the other movies <laughs> that this that this is going to be too much of an exercise in self pity from one particular character, as mm-hmm. this kid Marcus, I think his name was, was talking about sort of. Uh, regrets or wistfulness he had about this ex-girlfriend and his concern for her being missing um and that i think that did pretty quickly go away and i came around to like it quite a bit um i think i i I ultimately found that self-pity to be somewhat ironic and as that that is definitely his goal yeah as that sort of as it becomes more clear that it's uh that there's a semi-autobiographical quality to it the truthfulness of which you know who knows but it does seem like he's deliberately sort of suggesting that this is that there are elements of him in this character it it becomes a bit more self-deprecating to me that despite having sort of uh announced that this is a movie about sentimental love like this this kid is also one who's super hypocritical hypocritical and um self-pitying in a way that i think no way is very aware of and not um too sentimental about and i thought that was actually pretty satisfying um he has extremely lofty goals to um, to have a loving threesome Mm -hmm. with a neighbor Mm -hmm. and which it does not challenge the relationship with i believe it was alexis is Mm -hmm. that correct Um, and then after he sleeps with the french girl who lives next door while alexis is gone impregnates her and she moves in um and he pretends Mm. that it's a good thing these are you know lofty goals that are common in reality not the threesome component but the fact that you get someone that you didn't intend to pregnant and you try to do the right thing and it ends up tearing you apart these are common things depicted in a way that is self-deprecating and honest which is very uncommon and it's depicted in this biological essentialism Mm -hmm. cinematography where it's showing you know the perspective that is often lacking of the cylinder yeah from the side and in this case that is the vaginal canal with the penis going Mm -hmm. in and out of it but it is how life is created yeah and it is not a perspective that is commonly depicted. And it is yeah. uh, a perspective that Gaspar brings up continuously throughout his filmography. Um, yeah. it, it is most overt in the scene with Monica Bellucci in the tunnel in Irreversible. Yeah. And my personal favorite scene from Enter the Void is from a similar perspective of collision within a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that if you gloss over that, you're missing out on what he's offering to cinematography at his deepest level which is how films aren't often depicted and how life continues to exist which is from this side perspective of a canal bacteria Mm. survives in this warm area of Mm. collision and and growth and molding and all these things and then it um 
it makes terrible decisions or is forced into terrible decisions and people uh, commit suicide or people cry or people die and and this is mm-hmm. Gaspar Noé's filmography essentially that yeah you know that it all boils down into that yeah. um, at one point they're sitting on the bed him and Alexis and he's talking about her dying and he says I'll cry mm-hmm. and uh, she says I don't want to die in between him saying I, I'm going to be sad when you die and then he just says I'll cry and then it cuts and behind him is the Tower of Babel mm. and I don't know if you remember how the movie ends but uh, he is crying in a bathtub mm-hmm. and uh, magically almost Paul Schrader-ish uh, a girl appears who is Alexis holding him in this bathtub as he's crying mm. and his son magically disappears out the door yeah I, it is a, a surprisingly emotional ending, I think. I was not expecting it to be quite as emotion, emotionally involving as it was, particularly because I felt like it was longer than it needed to be, and I felt like it it lost me maybe a little bit. And when then, did it lose you? Uh, I, I, I would say that there was maybe sort of like 60 to 80% of the way through, I, I thought... The, his points kind of became a little bit belabored, a little bit belabored. Um, do, do, do you remember uh, like a specific landmark scene where you were like, okay? I really don't. I just remember starting to feel like, despite sort of the beauty with which he was capturing all of this sexuality, he started to sort of lose. Um, it's it did start to feel just a bit a bit repetitive in a way. Like, he, he wasn't starting to find new ways in which to capture some of this. Um, there's sort of this third, fourth of the movie where there is a good succession of sequences where he's just having sex with Alexis in different places, which are all sort of beautiful. But I did start to feel like sort of the sort of like thematic evolution of what this movie is doing sort of kind of... St- stalls and there is sort of like just uh, some visual pleasure that i that i get from it but i don't think it necessarily justified um the time that it necessarily took to get to the ending at which um i did get some satisfaction did did you pick up on any of his philosophical uh kind of meanderings and conflicts within love uh what are you what are you alluding to specifically uh i i I definitely did did you see paul schrader's uh taxi driver in the movie at all uh paul schrader's taxi driver that definitely did not come to mind i definitely thought do you you remember a point where they're walking together hand in hand him and alexis she is Uh in a fur coat Mm -hmm. and he is in the same exact military coat that robert de niro wears in taxi driver no, I did not realize that. That's, that sounds like a very specific reference, though. That is a very <laughs> specific reference. And he's American. Do you remember this fact? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and, and yeah. he's lust. Yeah. Incarnate. And, yeah. and she is, you know, kind of open-mindedness. She is yeah. very much uh, sort of that Monica Bellucci character that we see yeah. in Irreversible, whereas that angry, lustful... Um, 
character, uh, I, her husband at the time, I don't remember his name offhand, in a, in a yeah. reversible, is very much the character that we see. And, and he's lusting for, you know, these foreign women, but he also wants what he wants, and he doesn't want to be deprived of it. Yeah. But he also doesn't want to be held accountable for his actions. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Gaspar mm-hmm. reckoning with these things in the film and and how the fact is that that america and france love each other we have a statue of liberty that proves that this has been around that this infatuation has been around for a while um we you know many americans love french new wave music love french new wave film uh many french people seem to to love especially like scorsese's work Um, in the 70s so there is this love happening but it's also we don't agree on how love is expressed either but we do love each other and it it is this juxtaposition that made the film philosophically work for me because i wasn't just seeing people i was seeing places attempt to coincide their love and the fact that they didn't get to have a kid with each other um but that they held each other in grief while the child walked out the door following the mother was very impactful for me. Yeah. I definitely think I read it more and found more of my satisfaction on a more of of an emotional and personal level than I think sort of a thematic level like that. That makes perfect sense. I think that's an interesting take. Um, I was definitely more interested in it as sort of a uh work of semi autobiography oh um, any gaspar film is definitely that right he he seems sort of um unable to resist like infusing some sort of uh bit of himself in sort of his characters such as um, his own penis and his right, own art gallery li- quite literally in in certain cases um and i found that pretty satisfying that it that it didn't feel like it was done in an egotistical way. Like I think it was done in a in a pretty, um, pretty modest and humble way, actually. Yeah, I think that it is egoism at bottom, but I think that mm-hmm. it's a very um, ethical egoism because he is yeah. the person making a picture, and he does think that it's worth making a picture about. Yeah, and. Um, if you go back to Irreversible, the original reason why yeah. he incorporated his own phallus into the picture was because he fu- uh, his friend had alerted him to the fact that he was depicting the gay club in a very, very offensive way. And he thought that if yeah. he put himself in the gay club masturbating with an erect penis, yeah. that um, he would construe how he more accurately felt into the picture and also get away with it. You know, he, he was very open about... He wanted to get away with it, but it's also that is how he felt. He didn't he didn't want to judge them. Yeah. He was just trying to depict it in a way that served his own story. And I yeah. I think that he's evolved his his perspective of involving his yeah. own phallus into it. And I think it is a very uh, metaphorical truth that you know his penis represents. You know it it, it is yeah. his ideas that he's depicting in this film, and he yeah. he is doing it for self aggrandizement at, at some level. But he's also yeah. doing it out of uh, fear and, and confusion and, and uh, wanting answers to questions and questioning yeah. answers. And uh, I, it, it's a very 
believable reason to do it i i suppose yeah i would agree and i think enter the void is probably uh it's definitely the one in which he involves himself the least and sort of gives the viewer the opportunity to involve themselves more because of that perspective absolutely and the long uh, gestating enter the void exactly and again i think almost with all three of them i think the 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 kind of problem i had with with enter the void is just the duration of it i think it loses you think that it shouldn't have been three hours i think it could have shaved off a little bit of its i think it could probably have cut off at least 40 minutes (laughs) but you're saying it shouldn't be three hours long i think that's that's pushing i I think that's a fair stamina but i Uh. i think that he had a reason to do it and i think that it's like a lot of early work from directors yeah not a good enough reason Mm -hmm. and i think if he would have gotten to make that film earlier it would have been more experimental more ballsy less production quality but maybe a better reason to stay for three hours he wanted to make it for over 20 years and I think that he got so glossed onto those reasons that they just didn't pan out. Yeah. But yeah. the way mm-hmm. that he lets you embody the specter of this man's life. Yeah. Is name a movie that does it better. Well, I I, th- I think that perspective is sort of interesting and problematic at the same time. It's an it's an interesting viewpoint because it is so distinctive and so unlike anything else. At the same time, I do find it just particularly hard to identify with the perspective from which we're seeing anything when you don't have the opportunity to sort of um, get a glimpse at sort of the emotional response of the person whose perspective we're getting, right? I think that you viewed it from a perspective he didn't desire you to view it from. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying he didn't desire you to view it that way yeah he wanted you as soon as he moves to those from the back shots from the back of the head yes yeah. third person silhouettes where the character is almost always in shadow and you can barely even tell he's white yeah he very much wants the viewer to incorporate themselves into that person he wants you to be that boy he wants yeah. you to imagine that you are that boy and i think that's yeah. probably particularly hard if you're a girl to pretend that you're that boy. Uh, yeah yeah absolutely but um I, I think that if you can at least at moments pretend that you are that boy yeah. or that you're that little girl in the car, that yeah. the experience you have when you're lulled mm. into that tunnel will be yeah. one of the best cinematic experiences of your life. Yeah. I really think that yeah. that scene is one of the best scenes that's ever been done where the family has a excursion in the car and everything changes. I don't want to spoil yeah. it for anybody, but it's it's a it's just a perfect piece of digital cinema yeah yeah th- this is like a much more direct kind of cinema right like the traditional kind of way of telling a story is just giving us a character that we watch with whom we sort of align our our, our sympathies and by by putting us directly in that person's shoes like it is sort of like jarring to begin first. with we're in his shoes and then after that right. we're in his soul Right, and then it's after that, even more sort of bodily. We, we are in yeah. his, ex, we're we're in the effects of his experience with people. You know, yeah. we go to this overhead view where we're watching his sister, 
and we're watching the the boys and the men that he's involved himself with there in Tokyo and and yeah. it's this unique over the head dioramic view and yeah. and I thought that what what I saw in that movie interestingly enough made me think that hereditary was mm. in, informed and it some of its directorial decisions by it interesting and its transitions because some of those transitions where you go from body to over the head shot over mm, the walls yeah. down to the next body in which you're going to follow along the journey is very yeah. you know it's incorporeal and it, it's very dioramic yeah. you almost feel like you're in the diorama yeah. houses that tony collette's making in hereditary yeah yeah i could see that and maybe that was there was there was a satisfaction from that dioramic like feel that i that i got from hereditary that i didn't quite get here and that was maybe just just because of some of the visual choices that like we kind of already talked about so so Um, how did you feel about the diorama uh city of tokyo i was a little i I was less enthralled by it than i thought i might be um i just didn't quite get this was that that it comes at an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes into the film it does come pretty late so by that point you're already sort of you already know that he's been shot you're pretty well accustomed to this viewpoint it might have been a bit more affecting had that been front-loaded and you were sort of you know given this um surprising um view of the city but by that point i was already sort of a little fatigued by the viewpoint and i i just i just wasn't and just fatigued personally in your day exactly you you've just been with the movie for quite a while at that point and i didn't in an exhausting movie you've you've died if you've incorporated yourself <laughs> you have the literally died you have watched the outcome of your death you've watched yeah. the previous moments of your life's mm. depiction from this third person perspective yeah and finally you're reaching the boy the the roommate of the boy that your sister hates is diorama of tokyo yeah and and that's where it kind of elucidates the perspective in the real world that you're experiencing as you're entering the void if you will yeah now my question for you is Mm. did you go with the dmt or did you not go with the dmt did i go with the dmt like did i did i feel like i was experiencing that did you buy into his experience because gaspar noy specifically has a biological take on presenting this film so did you biologically agree and go along with what was happening to the character or did you not buy into it i don't think i did i think do you think that that might have uh made you not like it as much as you wished you would have Probably, I, I like we were talking about earlier. I, I, I am, sh- I, I can only imagine that there is a greater satisfaction from someone who has has a familiarity with what that drug can induce, right? And that, and the fact that this this piece of cinema, this piece of visual art, can sort of bring about that same feeling. I think that's probably something pretty special and elucidate um, very similar images. You're right um but having not experienced that and having sort of gotten the idea that i was supposed to be 
sort of emotionally aligning myself with this guy and his history, I do felt like I was sort of deprived of the of the opportunity to sort of um, get a sense for what he was he would have felt in these situations versus what I'm feeling because I'm being sort of transposed on top of him. So um, I, I think that the film builds in a very interesting way where anyone that has had that experience can incorporate their own experience into the way that the film segues into him doing DMT right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then it builds into why maybe he was driven towards this drug use more than yeah. halfway in. And that's yeah. where the movie gets very psychosexual. Yeah. How did you respond to the sexuality between the brother and the sister? I did not respond particularly well to it. Did it uh, <laughs> Did it bother you or or were you just neutral? Did you just let it happen or, or did you say, did you take a hard line? I, I... I would not say that I I took a hard line, but I but I I was just sort of like disappointed with with um with my lack of feeling for it for something that that is so provocative, like especially relative to irreversible and love. Like I felt like I was I the sort of the the strength of my response to it just just didn't quite match up. I didn't feel I didn't feel as much as I thought I might. Um, it's a very complicated thing. Yeah, isn't it that the love that a brother and sister could have, um, and then the consequences of being separated at such a young age, and then being reunited yeah. in their sexual primes, arguably, um, yeah. could definitely fuck with the proper way of expressing that love, especially yeah. with the losses that they have incurred together, and yeah. the closeness that they would have at sharing those losses. Uh, for me, that film works. Enter the Void works better than Three Identical Strangers, where yeah. they're sharing this emotional yeah. experience of acute, you can't even fathom it. And yeah. Enter the Void gets me to buy into them feeling that in a way that Three Identical Strangers, even though it's real, didn't get me to con- didn't get me convinced. Yeah. And I think that in Three Identical Strangers, if Eddie was alive to tell me that, I would have been more convinced. Yeah. Yeah. But because he wasn't, I wasn't convinced. Whereas, be- because the camera tells me, and because it doesn't want to tell me it doesn't want yeah. to show it i'm more convinced of it and yeah. what about the abortion uh the abortion w- was more affecting for sure because uh, maybe because it's something it's something that was observed yeah even had it been shot in in a no in a uh in a completely different kind of perspective you know I, I, th- I think I would have understood that in the same way. So that's not the kind of scene that sort of alienates me quite like some other ones do because of its perspective. Like in that scene, I'm watching it just like I would any other movie. And it's, and it's, you're watching it's just it, an effective you're way. You're watching it just like you would watch any other movie? That scene? S- sort of, yeah. Uh, Dude, that scene had me wanting to cover my face and like, looking <laughs> out of the corner of my eyes. Oh. When you're watching know. her get the metal instruments, mm. and and then you see the um, embryo in in the spatter mm. plate peanut thing, right? Oh my but, god! But that I guess was I'm saying so visceral. It was absolutely visceral, visceral. But I don't know. I don't think it was any more visceral than had the movie like just not taken this sort of first person perspective that it did. Had it not, not had it just been shot in a fashion that sort of 
gives us this third person idea. I don't know if, if I gained anything by watching that scene from the, from the perspective of this ghost-like character. I guess that's my point. Not that it wasn't affecting. It was tremendously okay, affecting. So it was fucked up. Yeah, what about whose baby was it? Uh, whose baby... Uh, I don't know that I was even thinking about them in that moment. I think I was actually like so very just much in na- the Now moment. that we're after it, though, right. whose baby mm-hmm. was it? Because I can honestly say I tried to pay attention for that last hour. I think yeah. I did a pretty good job, but I could have missed something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whose baby it was. I legitimately I, don't know. I know yeah. that uh, Mario took his condom off. Right. After yeah. that, uh, like, main scene of sexuality with the sister. And yeah. I know that there are sexual situations with the brother. And I legitimately yeah. don't know if that was the brother's child or if that was yeah. Mario's child. I don't know either. And I know that Mario yeah. says that she said that she's willing to have a baby with me. Yeah. But we never really know whose baby it is. And yeah. I think that maybe the perspective given to me elucidated that it could have been his baby, if not is his baby. Yeah. And that made yeah. it such a philosophically interesting and complicated scene yeah. to watch this baby get killed. Yeah because we can make an ethical claim that it should be based on how laws are passed today yeah that that is specifically the situation regardless of the state where you would be allowed to seek an abortion but it still felt wrong and it's not that i'm i'm absolutely pro-choice yeah but witnessing it was very uh, challenging to my own choices yeah politically because because it, it just it showed you the body yeah, it showed yeah. you there's, the body. There's no doubt that the the, the visceral sort of um, relent, relentlessness with which that scene is shot, like it's it's hard not to to feel something. Yeah. No matter no matter what you think about you know whose kid it is. Yes, um, it, it's it, still it's, a it's kid in the yeah. in the bin at the bottom. Oh man, it was moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that there were, you know, that shot with the tunnel shot are, I think, two of his most important scenes that he's ever done. And I, Absolutely, yeah. I think that, you know, the expense is that you had to watch a three-hour movie. Exactly. I, I think and that's, that's I think sort that of my, worth my reservations with him is, like, is like, I think that there are these, like, interesting points. Like, even if my, like, while watching them, I don't get a ton of aesthetic pleasure like the satisfaction comes from really thinking about these movies and what he's trying to do that that sort of comes after the movie i think you know that that's when the pleasure kind of comes it's mm-hmm. when you're sort of getting at what you're sort of working through what he's trying to do um or even what he did to you right i don't i don't know that i necessarily always get what he's trying to do but i certainly yeah. get that he did something to me and and then and then there's sort of that idea that like I think he could have done that to me with an hour less of time. <laughs> That's the so I wanted that. Do you think that although he has too long of a runtime, yeah, that if he went with a different editor, he wouldn't get the same quality of picture, or do you think that a different editor could make the movie better and shorter? I do think a bit a better editor could make them both shorter and better. Really, I do because I. I don't know if something gets lost in translation. I, I, I have yeah. the suspicion that something could get lost in translation. There. Right. The, there is sort of this like hard feeling about wanting a movie to be shorter because I just like enjoy 
cinema. Film. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I want to I want to fit two in instead of one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but especially with Irreversible, where I really think of like what's so interesting about that movie is sort of the idea that vengeance doesn't change what it's driven by, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that we're seeing this in reverse emphasizes the point that Marcus's Marcus I think I'm mixing up names now. Vincent Cassell's character avenging Monica Bellucci's rape and murder doesn't change the fact that it happens. And does he really avenge it, or does he get the wrong guy with the fire extinguisher? Uh, Or does his friend get the wrong guy? Right. Um, Well, I I believe that by the end of the tunnel scene, we figure out that there is no ambiguity. They got the wrong guy. Right, And, and that's involving, for sure. But I think... you know again even in that movie like once everything beyond the rape um i sort of feel like he i sort of feel like he's kind of belaboring his his point like i'm not sure that he's he's really building off any building on like the idea that he's already sort of convinced me of um have you heard about how it's reverse 2001 uh not in any detail i know i know people make or, or think pretty do you, do you remember the poster oh yeah absolutely okay. it's, it's, do you, do you it's, remember it's pretty the, conspicuous do you remember the yeah. end gravitational shot uh on the lawn where the camera is yeah, pirouetting yeah, yeah, just yeah. like in 2001 a space odyssey absolutely okay yeah so um, there, there's, so there's some some th- some synergies for sure. remember that bone tomahawk scene where he gets his face smashed in by the fire extinguisher oh yeah oh, uh yeah. or bone esque <laughs> for clarity um <laughs> So, so that is uh, has been made to be the claim that that is the the kind of monkey scene, where there's yeah. the the violent war, and then um, incredibly primitive, yeah, for sure. Um, and and I'll I'll get back into this, but so I think the most important thing that was done in a in a reversible is number one the fact that dialogue was unscripted; it was all improvised. Yeah. Number two, that tunnel shot. Do you think that was one scene? like uncut yeah uh i certainly perceived it that way yes so that was one of the first scenes that comes off that way right it was shot on 35 yeah but it was edited in post they did seven takes they did take four with take seven they did the first half of take four and the second half of take seven yeah and you can't tell yeah you can't tell seamless for sure you can't tell that that penis was added in post yeah he had his fly up the whole yeah. time that they shot all of it yeah that penis looks like it accosts the viewer you know like yeah you mm-hmm. feel like you just watched her get accosted and now you're being accosted. like it's a it's a yeah. terrible thing and yeah. i think that it provides sympathy and empathy in a way that very few films ever do for yeah. exactly what it's like for someone to have experienced rape and I, I think agree. that if someone yeah. watches just that scene, they can have more compassion in their day-to-day life. Oh, I could, I completely in a, agree. In a way that no other film is capable of, which is I very agree. ironic because of how Gaspar is perceived by people. Right, it, as it being is sort one of, of his, brutal or vicious or something like that. It is like, one of his own films that can provide this great sense of emotion um, and, and yeah. compassion towards our fellow people and humans yeah or or equal sapiens <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I agree. It, it, it is incredibly ironic that he's perceived as someone who, who lacks empathy when that scene is so satisfying precisely because you empathize so deeply with the victim of this ridiculous violence. Yes. Um, and uh, It's the most satisfying scene of the movie despite being the hardest to watch it's it's it is a it's a bizarre satisfying mix of emotions uh, so they they ordered something like a dozen of those dresses for Bellucci. yeah and she she kept one for herself because she thought it was yeah. beautiful and yeah. after the movie she couldn't wear it because she was sickened by it yeah and mm-hmm. just that that says everything you need to know about the performance she yep. was sickened by her own fake performance. Yeah. That's how real it is. Yeah. That's how, you know, if you want to understand what it looks like to to see disgust and inhumaneness. Yeah. This is the scene more than any other scene in cinema that depicts inhumanity and and irreproachable unforgivable and, and yep. that is what is most interesting because we agree that you can't forgive someone for these actions. Yeah. And yet, we get mad at the main character because of his attempts towards reconciliation and yeah. retribution. Yeah. And and the movie would it would play completely different completely differently if it was just proceeding in the typical fashion right that we would get more satisfaction from the vengeance itself and and i think that's like it's it's obvious to say that like that's why the movie is as insightful as it is is that it's presented in reverse and there you you therefore get more you sort of have a deeper understanding for the senselessness of the vengeance yes right Yes, um, and and once you've watched it, it's irreversible. You can't yeah. undo it. And, you can't unwatch it, <laughs> and you'll want to. You know, yeah. this isn't something yeah. to watch casually. It's something to be ready for. You you don't necessarily have yeah. to engage with it. It will engage with you whether or not you want it to. But yeah. you do need to know that when you watch the scene, you're gonna be sick, and you're yeah. not gonna be happy, and you're gonna. Yeah. You, you're just gonna feel things that that you wouldn't normally feel when you watch a movie yeah i do think of this more as like art with a capital a than i do a movie with a lowercase m because the first third of it at least where the cameras you know as if it it looks like it's just dangling from a rope or something like that getting sent through this club called the rectum so it's it's spiraling right (laughs) right just like the police car sirens exactly i I love that metaphor i remember you calling that out the music going is just like the police car sirens um and once it's gone it makes you sick that it's gone because then you don't know what's gonna happen but while it's going you you have insight into how you should feel or what should be happening yeah and um i i think that this is probably the greatest improvised film that i've ever seen done yeah he claimed that he had vincent castle and monica bellucci to do Mm. enter the void yeah then he had to do irreversible they came up Mm. with the dialogue off the cuff yeah the Mm. you know this is just one of those films that will never be replicated and no matter what he does with his filmography, nothing will ever be as important as Irreversible. 
because of what it does for any human to understand how to empathize with the one of the worst acts that can happen to another human yeah yeah i would agree but it's just it's it's just a strange movie to recommend to anybody because i think part of my like relatively low rating of it is just the fact that the experience of watching it immediately is not particularly good right obviously like it, it's well, not it it's not be. a you you shouldn't, shouldn't watch be, right? the That's worst thing happen right? to someone almost. exactly so it, it it's, it's just one of those movies that doesn't seem it seems weird to rate it um because but you the, can the rate it on its own formality right right exactly it's it's more about how the form fits the content it but how, how did vincent castle act did you believe him or not I did, but at the same time, I think that's one way in which this is sort of problematic. It's hard to sort of get involved in that first 30, 40 minutes or so when that camera is so disoriented yeah. to get to get involved. This is so... Okay, what, what about Bellucci? Did you believe her? I believed that she was experiencing this violence, but I also don't remember her as a you know particularly fleshed out character to be honest um i absolutely absolutely like felt the the pain and the violence she's subjected to when she reaches her hand out right it's it's while she's being pinned to the ground it's one incredibly hard but it's not it's not because like oh i've gotten to know her so well right it's no sort of you don't get to know her that. until after that exactly and what you get to um, know of her is uh very much a, a shadow of a person you don't yeah. get to know exactly who she is you get to know what type of posters are on her walls how she behaves what she puts up with yeah what she likes sexually um yeah you know and and then there's this very challenging scene of uh near the end where vincent castle her real life husband tells her yeah. i would like to fuck you in the ass yeah mm-hmm. and that more than any other scene since the tunnel makes yeah. you go what the fuck dude yeah like i get more angry at that than when he's accosting prostitutes on the street yeah and i was pretty angry at that yeah yeah <laughs> so and, and this was consensual where she was being flirty but it was yeah. because of yeah. the context of before just any anal sex at all had become yeah. this very morally challenging thing which yeah. i think reflects how gaspar grew up and and how sodomy was was viewed yeah within more France. of an assault or something yes yeah. yeah yeah i think uh it is one i would recommend but it's one i would recommend with the sort of qualification that the satisfaction comes from from thinking about the movie more than and, more than and from suffering it. yeah it's very yeah. much it it's nothing like but very much like the experience of watching the passion of the christ exactly you yeah. find art in the um brutal realism of the suffering and yeah. if you don't want to watch brutal realism and suffering then absolutely feel free to throw on my little ponies instead exactly because that'll definitely take you to the opposite place <laughs> exactly you you have to be prepared for it no other way to put it no 
that's a wrap on drinking the movies <laughs> with michael and taylor episode one signing off <laughs>